animals out there? Are you ready? Well, you better buckle up because it's time for the show, ladies and gentlemen. Straight out of your sister's bedroom. It's your girlfriend's favorite podcast. Without further ado, it's the Wing Scoops Podcast with your host, Wade Needham. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the return of the Ring Scoops podcast right here on ringscoops.com. It has been a long five months. 2022 is here and gone. This is not only the return podcast, but this is the first podcast of 2023, ladies and gentlemen. And we're going to kick things off with a bang. The return show, a new format, a new flow, a new attitude. That's right. That's what we do here on ringscoops.com. We innovate. We have been at the forefront of everything, and we're going to be at the forefront even more here in 2023. On this episode of the podcast, I have with me one of the greatest minds in the wrestling business that I have had the pleasure to share a locker room with. He has been a champion in just about every promotion he has ever worked for. He is a mega talent. He is a king of the ring. You can call him a mega king. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, I present to you, Mr. Thomas Wilson. Tommy, how are you going? It is great to be on here. About five months down, I was out of wrestling for five years, so it's kind of fitting and meets perfectly that we, uh, I'm your first guest on here going into your attitude era. I'm loving that. Oh, absolutely, man. And you know, I wouldn't have anybody else on here for the kickoff of the new year you, you know are... if, you to- if you told me when i was stealing that ringside scoops belt from you like a decade ago <laughs> that i would ever be on here i would have been like there's no way that guy's never gonna bring me on for anything <laughs> i was and such it- a dick to you back in the day and it's funny because like we actually have tried several times over the years to get you on and it our timing yeah. just never worked out right well, yeah, I mean, like I said, I was out of the business for like five years. So, I mean, that wasn't helping anything. I wasn't talking to anybody for the longest time. But, yeah, I mean, me, I mean, I was working full time. I got a kid, you know, just time. Time's precious. And it's hard to fit things in sometimes, unfortunately. So I'm glad to be on today. Absolutely. You know, you're right. Time is precious. Uh, we just got out of a very interesting year in 2022, especially, I mean, not only in life, but in the wrestling business. I mean, think about a lot of the stuff that happened in 2022, like Vince McMahon retiring. Who had that on their bingo card? Too seriously. You know, just so many different things. So I, I guess like, let's start off. Like, how was your 2022? I had a great 2022. I returned to wrestling, got pretty much back in the best shape of my life. I'm healthy and happy. So 2022 was a great year for me, which is kind of a nice thing to say going into the last week, given the fact that probably the last five or six years, at least I'd have told you this year was the worst year I've had in a really long time. So, I mean, I went through a rough stretch and it's nice to actually be on the other end and go through a full year where I feel good. Even, you know, this year I had some downs as every year will, but returning to wrestling, um, you know, getting to travel around a little bit with my family has been the best part of my year. And it's going out with a bang. I mean, not too many people will know, and I won't go too deep outside of wrestling because I know what we're here to talk about. But my Michigan Wolverine football team is going to be in the playoff on uh, Saturday or Sunday, whatever day New Year's is, against TCU. So I'm uh, amped up for that. So good year so far for me. 
Now you said that you, you've been out of the business for, for five years and made your return in 22, uh, 2022. Uh, yeah. When exactly in 2022 did you make your return? Who was it for? Who was your opponent? Like, how did that all come together? I returned for a uh, Rumble match at SoCal Pro's anniversary show in May of this year. I think it was early May. I don't remember the exact date. Um, but I was in a Rumble match as a surprise entrant and nearly won. I came down to me and Mr. Impressive. And if you go back and watch the footage, I had thrown him out and the referees were distracted. And he was a bit of a heel and came back in and attacked me and threw me out to win the match. And that launched our feud for the next several months, which, um, you know, I finished up not too long ago by beating Terex and putting him in a chicken suit, which was actually a lot of fun for, you know, you, you laugh at that, but at a Halloween show where there's a ton of kids there, putting a guy in a chicken suit was highlight of the night for a lot of people. And you said that was against Terex? I was, well, so, okay, Mr. Imp- it was, it, yes, it was, the match was against Terex because Mr. Impressive was actually injured and could not get medically cleared. So um, he ended up having Terrence represent him, which, I mean, kind of felt unfair to me. It's like, okay, I go from Mr. Impressive, who's like a buck 90, <laughs> freaking Tarek, who, by the way, you know, you, you don't know what fear is until you're laying on the bottom buckle and you're leaning on it with your back and a guy's stomping you with a giant black boot. And in the bottom, it is just thumbtacks because he'd done a, he'd done a, uh, a death match the week before and he just left the thumbtacks in because he was too lazy to pull them out before he was stomping me in the face. So, oh, wow. It's a frightening visual. Now, they're all flattened in, so I wasn't too worried. But I'm like, you know, if one of those just slips out weird, I'm going to take one right to the eye. So I very quickly moved out of the way of those boots and rolled out of the ring and, you know, regrouped. And, and for, those, time out there. for those out there listening that aren't familiar with Terex, um, just a, a very, very easy way to describe the man, his moniker, 400 pound definition of pain. Yeah, he looks like Umaga, just big giant man covered in tattoos and piercings. Uh, he got thrown off of a San Diego pier a couple of months ago, <laughs> then got attacked by a clown with a flying, um, flying Ooh. flaming elbow. That was a bit of a tongue twister there. <laughs> now, ima- now imagine this. Imagine you're a surfer in Ocean Beach in San Diego and you're just enjoying your nice October day. And then all of a sudden this giant Samoan man falls off the pier and you go, man, what the hell just happened? And then you look <laughs> up and there is this dude that looks like porn star Ronald McDonald who has just set his elbow pad on fire and jumps <laughs> off the pier. And then you watch them both get arrested. It was, it was a sight to see, but yeah, Terex is a beast um, in the ring. That's for damn sure. Oh, absolutely. And uh, you know, devastating. He's standing moonsault. Can he still yes. do it? Now, funny, funny story about that standing moonsault. He actually hit me with it in that match. Landed on my nose with his forearm and actually uh, he didn't break my nose, but he did something to it that hurt in the moment. But I've been able to breathe significantly better since then. My cardio has vastly improved. So I think he lodged something that had been broken in there for a while and fixed my nose. So I got a nose job from Terex on Halloween this year, and I'm feeling good from that. Oh, well, there you go. All right. That's, there's another positive out of 2022. <laughs> See, and, that, and that's been my 2022. Big 400-pound dude does a backflip on me, smashes my nose, and then, you know, a month later, I'm like, man, that might have been the best thing that ever happened to me. All right on, man. You know, I, I love little happy accidents like that, as Bob Ross would call them. Yeah, and sometimes you just got to put the positive spin on it and know, okay, I mean – guy hurt me whatever i mean i i got my ribs cracked a couple of weeks ago wrestling guy named motros and i mean christmas time around the house has been quite nice because i was able to go to the wife and be like um i'm hurt so i can't help with that and you know i put i put on the sad voice 
<laughs> and I can say this because I know there's no chance in hell she's listening. And even if she is, we're at least we're, we're like 10 minutes in now. There's no way she's listening to 10 minutes of me talking on a wrestling <laughs> podcast. And that's no disrespect to you. It's just she has to listen to me all day. Um, <laughs> there's no way she's ever going to ever do it. Have you ever heard? I was listening to uh, Kevin Smith. and I don't know what it was, but he was talking about something with comic book men and his wife. And he was talking about, it has to be from one of the standups where he's like, yeah, I've got like an 8,000 inch TV in my bedroom from some promotion that he was a part of. And they gave it to him and delivered and put in his room. But his wife controls the remote control in his room. So he's never gotten to watch comic book men in his room. And one night he wanted to watch like the hundredth episode or one of the big, one of the like big milestone episodes. And he's like, babe, can I just like watch in the bedroom and live tweet and have you like take photos of me in front of this giant TV where I'm as big as I am in real life? And she just went, no. Oh, I'm like, <laughs> I imagine myself as Kevin Smith sometimes with my wife of, you know, she has no interest in me as a professional wrestler because his wife went on to say, she's like, I'm not exactly in the Kevin Smith fan club. He's like, but you fuck me. Like, how are you not in the Kevin Smith fan club? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but that's my wife. Like, she, you know, obviously loves me, but she has no desire to watch wrestling with me. I was trying to get her to go to WrestleMania this year. I was like, hey, if I don't get booked on anything, you know, around the area that weekend, you want to go check out the show? And she went, we've been. Oh, it's no. not even it, it's not even a debate. We went in New York back in thirteen and we had a good time. She's like, We've been. We don't need to do that one again. Oh, and in wow. all fairness, I don't think I'd subject her to twenty or four or five hours of WrestleMania programming anyway, because she'd be bored out of her mind. Because she like she likes the Yeah, she likes the entertainment side. She actually is a big fan of The Rock when he was wrestling. She um her and I were dating in like Oh three when Hollywood rock came around and she found that very, very entertaining. So I was able to get her into it a little bit at the time, but she's seen me wrestle a few hundred matches and couldn't care any less at this point. (laughs) (laughs) I, you know, I, I, I get it. Uh, you know, my ex-girlfriend was about the same way, you know, I, I, she watched enough of it. She just, uh, at, at the end there put up with it and, uh, just took me to the shows and that was about it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, she should, she serves her purpose. I mean, she lets me go and that's really all I need from her at this point. <laughs> she's, she's agreeable. There you go. That's always good. Yeah. Um, so let's, uh, let's go back a little further than 2022, which was great return, great run so far. 2022, 2023 is going to be bright as hell, but let's get back to, uh, like 2019, 2020, cause you had a lot of, health issues you've had a hell of a journey to come back and you know you've you've told me the story there's a lot of people out there that have not heard your story yet we sh- we got to tell them because this is a remarkable journey that you've gone through yeah and it's actually funny because i mean i'm not sure when this will be put up but you know right now we're recording it's the 28th of uh december tomorrow is a three-year anniversary of what I went into the hospital and basically in 2019, I woke up one morning, had really bad stomach pain, thought I had food poisoning and uh, my wife was going to go into work and I was going to watch my son all day. And she goes, you don't look good. And I was like, no, 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 I'm fine. Just go in. And she was getting ready and like 20 minutes went by and she's like, no, you're really not looking good. You need to go in. And I, I resisted. because I was like, there's no point. I'm like, I'm sure I'm fine. And she insisted. So we went to urgent care. It had a long line. Then we actually went to the emergency room at one of the local hospitals and they got me in pretty quickly. Um, and they, br- well, they bring me to the back and they're like, what's wrong? And I just tell them like, I'm just having passive stomach pain. I am in an incredible amount of pain. They're like one out of 10. I was like, I don't know, a hundred. 
200. I mean, like, it's just, it's burning pain. And uh, last thing I remember is I'm going, okay, well, here's a gown, put this on. And I remember standing up out of the chair, kind of collapsing and like falling basically on my knees in front of the, the nurse that was helping me and just looking up at him going, don't let me die. I have a kid. And then I just went black for the next month and a half. I don't remember anything for the entire month of January, 2020. Um, so yeah, I went into a coma at that point. So what happened was my pancreas had given out from too much alcohol, which is essentially, you know, I was an alcoholic was having easily a bottle of Captain Morgan a day. You know, I wasn't in the best circles of people and I was being encouraged to do drugs and drink and nobody was forcing my hand or anything, but it was definitely the culture of the people I was around and it was a bad place for me to be. And uh, the pancreas gave out, started leaking toxins everywhere into my body. And eventually those got into my kidney and my liver, which also shut down because my liver was taxed from the alcohol abuse and my kidney, I don't know what exactly went wrong, but it completely shut down. And at one point it was like at 0% functionality and they had me hooked up to tubes, you know, while I was in the coma. And, uh, yeah, it was about five weeks that I was under before I kind of came to. And then when I woke up, I had no idea what was going on. I just, you know, my eyes opened and I'm like, my aunt was there. My wife was there. And I'm just looking around and they go, do you know where you are? And I'm telling them like, no, I have no idea where I am. But from what it's been told to me later on is all they were, and I was like, you know, Charlie Brown's parents on the phone. They're like, all they could hear was mumbling because my mouth was so dried out. It was like just the worst cotton mouth. And my vocal cords, you know, obviously were weakened and everything in my body was weakened. So I couldn't really speak. And it took me about a week before I was able to speak. And um, at one point, one of my aunts was with me. And I started coughing up and she goes, you're right. And I'm like shaking and I go, I go help me. And she understood it enough. She's like, okay, help. What do you need? And I just, I started sticking my finger down my throat. She's like, is there something in your throat? And I just like nodded and she goes in with her finger and she pulls out this just like baseball size, like amount of phlegm Mm. and with her finger. And like, it looks like she's about to vomit. And then I'm about to vomit because she looks like she's going to vomit. And I go, wow, I feel a lot better. She's like, oh my God, you speak clearly now. So I had all this other gunk that was stuck in my throat too that was preventing it. Um, but I was still very weak. And I, you know, I, you know, when I was talking, it was like, hello. Like I couldn't, you know, it was, you know, like what I was saying earlier with my wife, like I'm too sick to help out around the house. I'm hurt. You know, that was just the way it was. Is I couldn't speak really well. And it took a while to get back at it. Um, you know, when I woke up, I couldn't move pretty much any of my body. All my muscles had completely deteriorated. When I went into the hospital, I weighed about 270. And that was the weight I'd been at for a little while. And they ballooned me up to about 310 with fluids when I was in the coma. And then within about a month of leaving the hospital, I was down to 182. Wow. So I went from, from you know, so, I mean, you can tell it however you want. I can say I went from 310 to 182 in like a month and a half. In reality, I went from like 270 to 108. It's still a 90-pound loss. Um, but it is kind of wild to think that at one point in January of 2020, I weighed 310 pounds. And then in April of 2020, I weighed 182. And I was just a beanpole. But the, the once again, the bright side of all of it was most of my wrestling injuries healed when I was in there. And I had a lot of muscle issues that I didn't realize were muscle issues, like muscle injuries, 
where it's like I tore something in my neck, didn't realize it. I tore something in my shoulder and didn't realize it. And the doctors were able to figure this out with MRIs after the fact. And they're like, yeah, there's a ton of scar tissue in there. You're like, you probably tore something, but the muscle deteriorated so bad, the scar tissue is minimal. And so as I started putting the weight back on and, you know, rebuilt my body, most of the nagging injuries to like my neck and my back and even my knees all went away. So I'm kind of getting a fresh start physically in wrestling right now, even though, you know, I'm working with a 40 year old body that does have wear and tear on it from the years, you know, of abuse of wrestling and alcohol and drugs. Um, you know, I don't feel like I've taken the, the thousands or however many bumps I've taken at this point. I feel like I got a fresh lease on that because, you know, obviously I took some time off and my body was healing up that way, but then losing all the muscle and having my body sort of autocorrect itself was a pleasant little surprise. And then I also got the benefit of like my mind kind of got cleared too, because, you know, February, 2020, I'm in a hospital fighting for my life. Pandemic hasn't even started yet. We're hearing about COVID and this thing. And, you know, Trump's telling us, oh, it's going to last a week or two. Don't, don't worry about it. And I, I had a buddy from work that came in for my shoot job. And he's like, hey, man, how wild is this? You like wake up from a coma and there's this like wild disease. And I'm like, dude, I remember the swine flu and being down in Mexico on a vacation like 2008. And they were like checking us I'm like that went nowhere. I'm like, we're in the U.S. We're going to be just fine. <laughs> and then it was like two weeks later, the lockdown happened. I'm like, this is some bullshit. Like I went from being in a coma to being locked at home. But once again, blessing, you know, I, I've been joking around, you know, with my aunt because, um, you know, she's into some spiritual stuff. You know, I don't, I don't really believe in God or any of that, but like we joke about, you know, energy of the universe and stuff. Cause she's really into that. And I was like, man, I wonder if I caused the pandemic because, <laughs> you know, <laughs> now, now hear me out. Like, I mean, if I'm like a superpower, like maniac, the, the couple of years before the pandemic, you know, 2017, 2018, 2019, I was gone a lot. I didn't see my son a lot. I didn't see my wife a lot. And I didn't really have a lot of family time and I was doing a lot of things I shouldn't be doing with people. I shouldn't have been around. And I, you know, I was wrestling a lot and I was working a lot. I was, you know, doing a lot of stuff, but I wasn't at home a lot and I missed a lot of time with my son. And, you know, I still remember when um, I was in the, I was in a nursing home. Um, they moved me from the hospital to a nursing home to start physical therapy. And my wife brought my son down and I was in a wheelchair weighing like about a buck 90 at that point. He came running up to me and I go to pick him up and I couldn't lift him. And luckily he jumped at just the right time that he didn't notice that he did all the work for me and basically got light for me. Like he was a wrestler in the ring and then hopped, <laughs> but then hopped up on my lap and nearly like crushed my hips. Cause I had no, well, I had no muscle in my legs. So like I couldn't even have, he was probably weighing about 50 pounds at the time. I, yeah. I couldn't even have a 50 pound kid just sitting on my lap without it feeling like, you know, it was painful when, when I got home, you know, I started doing pushups and like pushups were painful in my palms. Cause I had no fat around the bones in my hands. And when I'd lay on my back, it would really hurt because I had no muscle in my back. So like I had to have like padding for a while and had to work around that until I put some of the weight back on. Um, but I missed so much time with my family that, I, that within a couple of days of them releasing me from the, uh, from the nursing facility, you know, my wife and I went to target a couple of days later just to get some things. And she's like, do you think we should stock up just in case? And I was like, no, we're fine. And it was like two days later, everything shut down and then was shut down forever. My kid didn't go to school for a year because he was in private school and they just sent all the kids home and we did it all from home. So I got to see my kid and my wife all day for nearly a year. And after not really seeing either of them for two or three years, pretty regularly, it was kind of nice for me 
that the yeah. whole world got shut down. And in a way it helped with my mental health with wrestling because, um, he'll, you know, I don't like giving Jeff Dino credit for anything. Cause you know, <laughs> why would I, but <laughs> you know, um, Jeff Dino is one of the people that showed up at the hospital and, you know, I, I've had a few people, you know, I talked to Brandon Gatson and he's like, man, I wish I would have known I would have came and visited you. I was like, I know, but I didn't want anybody to know how bad I was because what I also don't talk about a lot is that in those few years that I wasn't wrestling, you know, I lost touch with a lot of my friends and it wasn't like a fuck you. I never want to talk to you. It was just like, you know, you stop returning phone calls, you stop responding to texts and eventually people just stop messaging you at all. Yeah. And I was fine with that. Cause I was like, I don't care. I'm alone. And I was fine with it. And I wasn't going to wrestling. So I didn't really want to talk to other wrestlers about stuff that made me miss it. And, you know, he was like, man, I wish I could have come and visit you. I was like, I didn't want people to know how bad I was. And, you know, Jeff Dino found out, I, I don't, I think it's SoCal crazy was the one that kind of got it out there because he messaged me asking if I was going to do the EWF anniversary show that year. And I think I'd been awake about a week and he's like, Hey, you know, they got plans. I wanted to, you know, you to do something with me. And I was like, okay, cool. Yeah, I'm down. <laughs> and now we're at, like, I'm weighing 190 pounds. I can't even move yet. I had no idea the road that was really ahead of me. I was like, sure, I'll be fine in three months. No big deal. And I, you know, I wasn't, it took nearly two years to even get right. And even now I'm not fully, you know, good in the ring. Like my legs don't function as well as they used to. And that's something I'm still working on in the gym. But um, Jeff Dino ended up finding out. He just showed up one day and we were talking and we, and we talked about some stuff that had been, you know, we had some heat between us and we talked about it. We heard each other out and cleared the air on that. And, you know, then he goes, grow your hair back, get in the gym. I'll see you in two years. And that was literally February 2020. And then I was in a SoCal Pro ring in May of 2022. So it took me two months longer than what he originally predicted in a hospital room, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'd shaved my head. Um, you know, I've got photos on my on my pinned post on my Facebook if anybody wants to go check out the photos of me in a coma and what I looked like. And I'll probably be putting up a post tomorrow on, you know, uh, 1229. Um, just to kind of put it back out there. Just like, yeah, three years ago, my life changed in a way where it could have been the end of my life. And instead, it turned out to be the best thing that ever happened to me, which is insane to think about. But, you know, I, um, I, was, like, I was drinking so much. I had no friends really around me. I was depressed and miserable and fat and... I hated life. And if I hadn't gotten sick, I would have kept drinking until, you know, I had died. And honestly, that's what had happened. I mean, I should have died. I literally should have been the guy that drank himself to death. When I was getting checked out of the hospital, the doctor was like, yeah, you had about a five to 10% chance of living when we put you in that coma. He's like, you shouldn't be here right now. He's like, when you come in as sick as you are, you go home in a body bag. It's like, that's just the way it is. So it was kind of wild to come out of that. But there was also that fear too of like, you know, as I'm in the hospital hooked up to all these machines and they're taking my blood every two hours and still feeding me through a tube because I can't swallow water. They're like, yeah, your body's not healthy enough for water. That's, <laughs> like, that's crazy. Wow. Like that's, that's how bad it was. We're like, yeah, if you drink water, you might just drown. And, um, you know, while I was in there, there was three different times when I did code and the first time, you know, all the beeps, all the beepers went off and they came in, they fixed me real quick. Second time, same thing. So I think I was only dead for about 10, 15 seconds. And then the third time it was actually a little bit worse. And, um, 
you know, my wife was at the hospital and she told me the story. Like, I have no way of knowing exactly what went down, but she's like, yeah, I basically went up to the doctor and was like, he looks off. Or no, she's talking to the nurses. The nurse is like, don't worry, he's fine. All, all his blood work's coming back fine. Everything looks fine. He's fine. And she just goes, no, he's not. So she eventually goes down into the lobby of the hospital and like a professional woman who just got promoted to partner in her law firm like a week before is like on her hands and knees, like throwing a temper tantrum like a child going, my husband's going to die. My husband's going to die until security came and they called the, the doctor and he ended up coming in and they rushed me to surgery immediately. And he's like, yeah, he had about another hour before he was going to drown because my lungs were just filling with fluid and nobody was seeing it. Oh, but she geez. just, but she just looked at my skin and that, that's just what she told me. She's like, your skin just looked different. She's yeah. like, you look terrible both ways, but it just looked different and it just didn't look right. She's like, so I, and the nurses weren't listening. So she's like, I can either go throw a tantrum and get it fixed or I can let you, you know, run the risk. And the doctor's like, you would have died. There's no way we would have been able to save you. Cause I ended up dying on the, uh, while they were operating on me, they were able to correct that. Cause I, they were right there, but they're like, yeah, you would have just drowned. And that was after I'd come out of the coma. So I was awake. Technically I was just napping and kind of out of it. But yeah, she pretty much saved my life on that third one. Cause Anybody else is there. Any other person. My mom's there instead. One of my aunts, a friend, any other person is in that hospital room with me that day. I'm fucking dead. So my wife saved my life. And I post about her on Facebook all the time, all this mushy bullshit, because uh, she deserves it, you know, for that. And, you know, some wrestling fans are like, man, stick to the wrestling. I'm like, fuck you, dude. I wouldn't even be wrestling if she wasn't <laughs> there to save me. So if, yeah. you like my, if you like my wrestling, you're going to have to deal with me posting photos of her you know, and us, you know, at the Backstreet Boy concert or something and just deal with that because <laughs> the Backstreet Boys. Hey, we oh, went in man. no joke, we went in June this year. <laughs> it was actually I, the first it was the first date we'd had in a really long fucking time too, because we didn't really see much of each other, you know. Like I said, I was gone a lot and then the pandemic started, so we weren't going out and doing anything because my immune system was nothing. So I was like, I'm staying home. And the only time I left the house was to go to the hospital to get surgeries or blood work or other stuff done. Cause I was there every couple of days and I don't know in whole, I mean, I stopped keeping track, but I've had at least two dozen surgeries over the course of, you know, eight months while, you know, from the time I went to the hospital to now. Wow. And yeah, it's, but it's nice to know that my body can handle it and that I can recover and, you know, when I first got into a wrestling ring, it was August, 2021. So that's about nine months before I actually returned in front of an audience. And I got in the ring and it felt like I just had cement blocks attached to my legs. You know what I said earlier, like my legs still haven't, my legs aren't where they need to be yet. And you know, the bookings that I took in 2022 were strategic. You know, I, I agreed to do a, a rumble match when I came back because a rumble match, there's a lot of outs to it. You know, you could get eliminated very easily and nobody will know, um, you know, in a singles match against somebody, you know, you're expected to be out there going 15, 20 minutes. There's no out to that. You got to go the 15, 20 minutes. You got to deliver what you're getting paid to. So I've put myself in situations, whether it's tag team matches, rumbles, you know, I, in July, I did a, it was a four, four man ladder match with myself, Tarek, Ricky Mandel and Infernal Dragon. And it was a brutal as fuck match. Like we beat each other up pretty good. 
but it actually worked in my favor that it was a ladder match because it's a lot less running around. You know, you're not hitting the ropes, coming off, leaving the ring a ton. It's a lot of climbing, trying to get the belt, but you get knocked off. You get knocked off, you're going to be down for a minute. So it's a lot, it's easier. It was easier on my body than a singles match, as crazy as that sounds. But that's been able to help get me through a little bit. You know, some of the matches I've taken against uh, more preliminary guys like the Commando. I wrestled him a few weeks ago. Um, just knowing where I'm at. Like, I'm not coming in this like, all right, I'm 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 coming back. Put me in the main event immediately because I wasn't ready for that. So I've been able to work around that because my legs aren't where they need to be. But I'm pretty happy with how my body's responded to you know, doing a match and then wrestling again the following week. Because after the first match back, I took, I think, three weeks off before my second match. And then after that, I think it was like a two-week period. And then I was like, all right, I'm going to try back-to-back weeks. And then I was like, all right, let's try back-to-back days. And um, the date I don't think is announced yet, but in February, uh, I think February 25th, I'll be defending my House of Warrior Wrestling Championship in Whittier and then going down to SoCal Pro in San Diego to challenge Judas for the SoCal Pro heavyweight title. So, uh, you know, and I'm, you know, both promoters talk to me. They're like, you're up for this. I'm like, you know what? Why not? Let's do it. You know, if I'm going to win it, you know, let's at least make it as hard as humanly possible because, you know, it's what, you know, I remember watching, I, I love football. I know I'm all over the place right now, but it's watching the, um, uh, there's a thing called America's game on NFL network where they, they show the, it's a documentary on each Super Bowl champion. And when they finally got to the Colts, when they finally won the Super Bowl, they're interviewing Peyton Manning and they're like, man, are you happy you finally beat Tom Brady? Went, you know what, man? I wouldn't mind playing the Raiders instead. That would have been a lot more fun than having to beat Tom Brady. It's like, but now that I beat him, it's kind of nice that I did it. But he, but he was very honest about it. You know, you know, saying this, I mean, I, I hope, you know, this doesn't go over everybody's head, but, you know, Michigan is in, you know, the final four essentially for college football. They're playing TCU on, on Saturday or Sunday, whatever day New Year's Eve is. And then we got either Georgia or Ohio State. I'm not looking forward to either of those teams because Ohio State's our biggest rival and we just beat them two years in a row. And, you know, we beat them four weeks ago. I don't want to have to play them again and give them a chance to beat us that quickly. You know, I don't want that. But Georgia also beat us last year in the playoff as well. So I'm like, I don't know who I'd rather play, Georgia or Ohio State. I'm like, there's a lot of risk, a lot of reward. I mean, if we play Ohio State for the national title, we lose. We'll only lost one game all year, but it'll beat Ohio State, and it'll, they'll still be the national champions instead of us. So there's that risk reward. But if you, but if I had to like call it myself, like if I could go, God, like make this happen, I would love for the for Michigan and Ohio State to play in the national title and have Michigan beat Ohio State a second time to win the national title, because that'd just be like the greatest thing ever for me. It's like, I mean, I hate to rub this in on you, but it's like when the Potters beat the Dodgers in the playoffs. It's uh, like, come on, you, hey, you guys won a World <laughs> Series two years ago, so you can't be too mad at that. You know, I, I I give you a lot of credit for acknowledging that it was a uh, a World Series win. There's a lot of people out there that say that that season didn't count, which is BS. You know, I I honestly I don't feel like it counts completely. I hope the Dodgers, even though I hate them, win another title to legitimize Kershaw and all that. I'm happy Kershaw got his ring, but they played a season and the Dodgers won in that season. That's all that matters. Yeah. Now. Like I said, it was a shorter season, which I think is the reason they did win because they were built for a sprint rather than a marathon. And I feel like in a lot of years, they've struggled in the playoffs because I don't know if it's just the coaching. Cause I don't watch every Dodger game every year, but it seems like their bullpen and their pitching falls apart in the playoffs. Yeah. And I'm just assuming it's fatigue and just bad bullpen management near the end of the season. 
But you give them the 60 games and get straight into the playoffs where they're just like, let's fucking go. That team, I mean, the Dodgers on paper the last decade have had the best team on paper every year. Yeah, it's we got, we got co- picked apart in the offseason here. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's it, things change a little bit. I mean, talk about getting picked apart, though. The Red Sox are feeling like a triple-A team next year. <laughs> like, like that's, dude, you know how rough it is to be, like, a fan of, like, a legitimate fan of two different franchises. And, like, it's fun because they're as far apart as possible. You know, Padres, NL West, Red Sox, AL East. Like, there's zero heat between the two teams. I love them both. But it's like one of the best Red Sox players is Xander Bogarts just signed with the Padres. So it's bittersweet going, all right, Padres have got a lot better, but Red Sox just got a lot worse. So it's like both of my teams can't be great at the same time. But it was nice in 18 when the Red Sox beat the Dodgers in the, in the World Series. And it was nice this past season when the Padres were able to pull off the win over the Dodgers. I didn't think that was going to happen. I didn't think we were going to get past the Mets. So – that, that was just a great feeling. And then it was a lot easier losing to the Phillies because I've got a lot of friends that are Phillies fans. So it kind of softened the blow on that one. But, <laughs> but, but it's the same thing. Like you don't get that reward unless you play the big team. Like if you don't play the Dodgers, you can never say you beat the Dodgers. Yeah, exactly. And to be honest, if the Padres win a world series in the next five, 10 years or whatever, I hope that season they knock the Dodgers out in the playoffs. Cause I feel like it'll mean a hell of a lot more than if they end up getting by them because another team knocks them off or if they just have a bad season and don't make it all together. So like, it's what Flair always said to be the man, you got to beat the man. And if you don't beat the man, then, you know, screw you. It's like, I'm kind of happy the Astros won a title this year. So the Astro fans could all kind of get over the 17 one, which I don't really consider a legitimate championship. I feel like the Yankees and Dodgers both have a pretty good gripe at that. Yeah, but for sure. It is. It is what it is. We should get back to wrestling. We're gonna talk about baseball for the next five hours. <laughs> well, I can do right. that forever. All right. Well, getting back in into wrestling here, let, let's talk. Uh, let's, let's shift gears. Talk a little bit about some of your favorite people to work with. Some of your least favorite people to work with in the business over the years. Because you've been so, in the business for quite a long time, man. And, I mean, I started in March fifteenth, two thousand one. So yeah, I've wrestled quite a few people, and I've met just about everybody. You started for nine eleven. Yeah. Wow. Okay, that's a, that's a funny story. So we had I trained at uh, Ken Shamrock's Lions and Wrestling Training Academy. It was only open for like eight or nine months. And I just, I got super lucky. I was doing gymnastics at a community college in San Diego. And I was talking to one of the other guys while we were just stretching. He's like, what do you want to do with your life? I was like, I want to be a wrestler. He's like, how are you going to do that? I'm like, I think, and I went, I need to get into MMA somehow because I think that'll help me get to the power plant in Atlanta. Cause this hmm. is March 15th, WCW is still in business. Yeah. So, so my plan was to go do MMA with Ken Shamrock. Cause I knew he had a gym down here in San Diego and go do that for maybe a year and then try to get a power plan and then hopefully get signed by WCW. And in 2001, I obviously could tell WCW's product was trash. And I was like, I may not be good enough for WWE, but I think I'm good enough for WCW. And, and you know, <laughs> to add on to that, there, there's a lot of people out there probably going to wonder like, well, wait a minute. It was like a week later they sold. How did you not know? Back then, like even though news was leaked back then, it wasn't as leaked as it is now. Nobody also- knew that WCW was getting sold until like literally the day before. Well, I didn't even, I didn't follow the dirt sheets back then. I was a straight, true wrestling fan. Like, I loved just watching wrestling. Like, I had this funny story I tell where probably like four or five months into training, 
we, me, the trainer, and a bunch of other guys are discussing our favorite wrestlers. And one guy's like, oh, I love The Rock. And I'm like, fuck The Rock. And the, <laughs> and the trainer starts laughing. He's like, what's your issue with The Rock? And no joke, I went, he keeps beating Triple H for the heavyweight title, and it pisses me off. And, dude, no joke, everybody just starts <laughs> busting out laughing. The trainer just goes, you mark. And I was like, what are you talking? I had no idea what a mark even was. Wow. <laughs> you know, and obviously he, he explained everything to me then. And, it, you know, it's kind of funny. But, yeah, I, I mean, I read PWI and all the magazines. I, you know, so there was talks about WCW business being down and ECW being down. But I had no idea. When I broke into the wrestling industry, I thought there was three major companies to go to. Because yeah, ECW was still technically in existence. Vince bought that like a week later. And then it's like two or three weeks later, WCW goes under. And it's funny, too, because at the time that it happened, I was like, oh, this is awesome. Because once again, as a fan, I was like, man, WWE will just own all the footage, have all the wrestlers, everything will be in one place. Because, you know, as a fan, I would hate when guys would jump from one place to another. You know, if there was a matchup in a, you know, I don't know. Like, if I wanted to see, like, Jericho versus, like, Six, and then Six goes and becomes Xbox, like, all right, now I don't get that match. So that sucks. And, you know, obviously we got it later when Jericho jumped over. But, you know, I would look at it that way. Of I, I kept thinking of the stuff I was missing out on by guys jumping. So the thought of everybody being in the same place was awesome to me. And I think, in theory, it really is a great thing. But, you know, my trainer was like, yeah, but that's less jobs. And that took me a little while to kind of understand that business side of like, okay, the more companies around, the better. And it's funny because, like I said, I broke into the wrestling business and there's three major companies. And then a couple of weeks later, there was none. And I kind of joke, I, you know, left the wrestling business. There was only one real company. Cause I mean, with all due respect to Impact, I mean, I know they've been around a while. Not a lot of people have made great livings there. And yeah. retired there, unless you've already been a major star, you know, or had and a contract with Panda. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you know, I hate to bring him up, but like, you know, I'd see Joey Ryan get hired there, and you know, I'd know what he was making per show or whatever, and then he gets released, you know, six months later without ever getting used, so he made next to nothing working for them. And so, from my standpoint, you know, I was managing a restaurant at the time making you know almost 100 grand a year with bonuses and stuff and i'm like i can't go work for tna and take a pay cut when i might get fired anyway and then lose out on this good job that i have <laughs> so yeah. so for me the longest time was WWE or nothing and it was frustrating because you know once i hit 30 they're like you know we're looking for younger talent and that changes every year and i think it's even changed more now where i don't think there's a type i feel like if they look at you and go we can make money off of you that's all they care about it doesn't matter if you're you know, 20 years old or 50 years old, if they see money in you, you're good. I don't think there's those obstacles that have been around for the last 10 or 15 years where it's like, all right, now we're, we're only looking for indie guys. Now we're only looking for bodybuilders. Now we're only looking for college football players. Like there's all these weird things that they've always done, which I've always thought was stupid. Cause I remember having a conversation with Scott lost where him and I both were like, you know, it'd be great if they just hired us because we're already good wrestlers and taught us how to work out and eat properly rather than hiring bodybuilders and try to teach them how to wrestle <laughs> because my thing is like if you literally said here's your meals here's the six meals you get here's be at the gym at this time i mean you know we will give you your program like if WWE just went here's what you do i would have followed everything and i would have been fine in their system it's like a they healthy version of a hot dog and a handshake you get a you get a, a handshake and a, and a jenny craig plan well not even a jenny craig plan but like all right look at my body what do you want me to look like yeah, you, know, yeah. you want me to drop some body fat? You want me to put on some more muscle? Tell me how to do it. Like, get me in your gym. Have your trainer train me for my body type. Help me. I clearly am not getting it done on my own. So how about you help me? 
rather than get the big jacked up guy that already looks good and try to teach them how to wrestle. Because with all due respect, I don't know. I feel like you either can wrestle or you can't. Like you, I can tell pretty early on into a guy training whether or not they're going to be good or not, whether or not they're going to be average or whether or not they're going to end up getting kicked to the curb because they've got nothing in them pretty quickly. And, you know, at SoCal Pro, I try to be honest with guys. And we've got a few guys where I'm like, there is zero chance you're ever going to be on a show. And then I'll look at them and be like, now prove me wrong. Because you're here, you're paying. I'm going to let you get ring time, and I'm going to do my best to help you. And I, there's nothing that would make me prouder than if you can prove me wrong. But looking at you right now, you know, if you're five foot four, you have two left feet, you know, you're not a good looking person. You don't, like, you have no athletic ability. Like the chances are this isn't for you, you know, unless you can find a way to work around that, which could be talking. It could be one little thing. You never know. But I'm very honest with guys and what I tell them, but I'm also letting them know, like, this is my opinion. If you want to prove me wrong, please, by all means, because I love nothing more than to have everybody succeed. But there are guys where it's very clear very early on, like, eh, that's not going to happen. You know, and at SoCal Pro, we got a guy named Tortuga who had open heart surgery like two or three years ago. Mm. And he's just like, man, I just want to be SoCal Pro champion one day. He's like, that's my goal. He's like, I want to be SoCal Pro champion, and I want to just get some bookings around so my kid can see me wrestle and just so I can have fun and just do the best I can. He's like, but I'm never going to – I don't think he would ever be able to pass the wellness policy in WWE just because of the heart surgery. Yeah. So they probably wouldn't let him. AEW probably would, but he doesn't really work that style. And, you know, what's going to impact – he's not going to leave his day job for that kind of a deal. But he's doing everything he can to get to where he wants to be, and his goal is SoCal Pro Heavyweight Champion. So I'm going to help him get there the best I can. And help him get to that goal. Now we got a couple guys. Now I'm not going to name because I don't want them getting too big headed. But we got a couple guys that I think you'll see in NXT in the next three or four years. Honestly, okay. Um, some very good athletic young talent that are very green at the moment that just have unlimited potential when you watch them. And they're guys if we can keep their heads on straight, which is why I don't want to name them out. <laughs> um, you know, if we can keep their heads on straight. I, I think there's a lot of potential within the next three or four years, possibly even sooner. I mean, I was at UPW when Tyler Rex got signed, and he was only in that system for six months, working out with me, little Nate, and Funky Billy Kim, and he never had a live match. And I remember I had uh, I got the the comp tickets at the San Diego Sports Arena to a house show for WWE, and I remember actually seeing Tyler Rex shaking Johnny Ace's hand and going, "That fucker just got hired, and he's never even had a match." <laughs> and uh, I was there with another wrestler. Like that's fucking bullshit. I was like, why? He gave like he's what they want. Like, how am I going to be mad at that? You know, he's he's put in the work in the gym. So I, I I've never understood why people would get mad at other people that have put in the work and get jobs. I, you know, there was a female talent that I used to help out that would get mad about Ronda Rousey. She's like, she hasn't paid her dues. I'm like, the bitch was the UFC champion. So yeah. I didn't even call Ronda Rousey a bitch. It's just like <laughs> I was so flabbergasted. I'm like. You don't have well, to like Ronda Rousey. She's also and, an Olympic medalist. <laughs> yeah, that's that, yeah. I'm not even thinking that she's an Olympic medalist in judo. Like she's a name, and her name value. It, this is my opinion, and anybody can argue with me if they want to. I think if WWE didn't sign Ronda Rousey, the women's division is nowhere near where it is right now. They're still going to be light years behind because it wasn't really the Bellas that were going to be the ones leading it. Like they were the spark. But Ronda Rousey coming in brought legitimacy to that division from the outside looking in and even from like male fans. Cause like I've never been a fan of women's wrestling for most of my life, 
because I was getting Alondra Blaze versus Bertha Fay. And that's all <laughs> I was seeing. And I'm like, okay, like, I mean, the the, the Alondra Blaze, like, Bull Nakano match at SummerSlam 94 is fantastic. Yeah. But they weren't doing anything with Alondra Blaze. And then she got to WCW, they were doing a little bit, but even that, it was hit and miss. And I feel like that division got overshadowed by the Cruiserweight division being new and, you know, Rey Mysterio and all those guys being so good that I was like, oh, I don't care about this at all. And so I've just never been a fan of women's wrestling. And then obviously the Divas come around. I'm like, dude, I'm sorry, but if at WrestleMania they're going to have a lingerie pillow fight, I'm going to go to the bathroom. <laughs> like, I'm not watching that. If I want to see, you know, hot women, there's better places for me to look than at a wrestling show. Not disrespecting the Divas of the day, but I'm just saying that's not why I'm watching wrestling. Like, I watch wrestling because I like wrestling. Yeah. You know, I, I like Ricky Steamboat and the Ultimate Warrior. You know, give me either or. Give me guys that can just go. Or give me a crazy ass character like the boogeyman or whatever. Like I can go on both ends of the spectrum on that. But or we I, can Ron- meet in the middle and we can have Ultimate Warrior versus Ricky Steamboat in a pillow fight. Dude, now <laughs> before you threw that pillow fight, I started like jizzing a little bit. Going, man, can you imagine like a heel Ricky Steamboat versus the Ultimate Warrior and actually carrying him to like a good twenty minute match? That would have been interesting to see those two interact with each other. It would. That's one of those dream matches. The the one that I really fantasize about is Brett and Warrior. Because I, I mean, I don't know if it almost happened, but like the talk that I always hear about was that it was going to be them at the Rumble in '93. Oh wow! At with Warrior or with Brett winning with the Sharpshooter, Warrior tapping as like the way of cementing Brett as the leader of the next generation. Wow! Imagine the visual of that. I would have cried. Like, yeah. No joke. I mean, I, I, I'm sure you're aware of this, but I used to watch pay-per-views scrambled back in the day. Oh, who didn't? <laughs> you know, because I couldn't afford them, but I had to know immediately yeah. because uh, we didn't even have cable. Until you sit I, there with your action figures to illustrate what's going on, listen to commentary and everything. Oh, yeah, with my Hasbro ring. And if I oh, got yeah. the match, yeah, if I got the matchup lined out, I got it ready to go. But I used to go to my neighbor's house and watch, and they were super cool because they would let me take over their TV for three hours. <laughs> and, like... Because we didn't have cable. So, like, I'm like instantly I, thinking of that scene out of Rain Man where they had to pull off the side of the road to watch Judge Wapner. <laughs> yeah. But, like, I remember SummerSlam 92 watching Warrior and Savage and being so invested in Warrior winning the title back because Warrior was my guy. Yeah. And at the time, as a kid, I was like kind of indifferent to Macho. I liked him better as a heel, I felt. So, I never got into good guy Macho Man when I was a kid. But uh, I was very invested in that match. And Vince on commentary, I love because, well, until he's got him, no, he kicked out. Like that, watching that scrambled and having that be the commentary is very abusive on a 10-year-old child <laughs> when you're like invested in who won. Because it's not even like I know who's covered all the time. Because Vince isn't like macho man with a lateral press. It's just one, two. Oh, my God. He kicked out. It's like, come on, pronouns, pal. Like, tell me who kicked out. Like, give me something here. So, like, those were some of the most anxiety. Riddly, riddled things of my life so warrior tapping would have killed me like having to hear that and not even really know and then wait until superstars the next saturday because i didn't have cable to even watch raw or primetime or whatever was on at the time like there's no way i would have survived that as a child it would have just broken me but <laughs> but i do think about those kind of matchups but, th- but that's what i like in wrestling but back to ronda rousey is i get in these arguments with this girl and she'd go you know you know she hasn't paid her dues i'm like she's paid all the dues and she's bringing eyeballs from ufc they're gonna be like hey i know who ronda rousey is i want to see what she's doing in we wrestling and then they watch the wrestling 
And then they start watching Charlotte Flair and Bianca Belair and go, damn, those girls are really good. This isn't the Braun Panty bullshit that I remember seeing the last time I checked in on wrestling 10 years ago. And Ronda Rousey, in my opinion, single-handedly made the women's division what it is just by her being that star. Now, is she better than any of them as a wrestler? No. But that's not the point. Was Hogan better than anybody he wrestled? Typically not. But he made more money than everybody. So, you know, what's it really matter? And I used to get those frustrated conversations where I'm like, it's not about who paid your dues. You know, like I said, I trained Tyler Rex. He got hired in six months. He didn't deserve it more than me. You know, I'm throwing finger quotes on that deserve part. But he was what they wanted. He had the look. He put in the work that they wanted. I didn't. I couldn't figure out how to get my body to look like that. And I tried. I just I never figured it out. And that's why, you know, with Scott Lost, it was like, man, it would be great if somebody would just tell me how to do this so I don't have to, like, trial and error while working 10 hours a day, you know, and living a normal life. But it is what it is, and there's nothing I can do about it now. But, you know, you talked earlier about Vince McMahon stepping down, and that's the best thing that ever happened to me as far as I'm concerned because, you know, when I came out of the coma and Jeff Dino was like, you know, you'll be back in two years. I, I, the first match I watched – coming out of the coma was Bray Wyatt, Daniel Bryan at the Rumble in that strap match. And at the end of that match, in my head, I was retired. And I'm like, yeah, I'm never doing that again. Because, you know, my body was still riddled in pain. And, you know, I'm on morphine, you know, just to kind of alleviate the pain. And watching these guys hit each other with straps, like, yeah, I'll never do that again. And here I am, you know, now almost three years later. And I'm like, man, I want to get in there with everybody. Give me ladders, give me tables, give me whatever you got. You know, I wrestled Brandon Gaston in the last minute standing match six weeks ago where he threw me at a barbed wire fence and I threw a cinder block at his head from a balcony. Oh, you know, if you told me that three years ago, I'd have been like, there's no way that'll ever happen. You guys really don't like each other, do you? Like, this has gone on over a decade. We do and we don't. It's it's love, hate. You know, when we're in there against the ballroom saints, you know, we got to, you know, put our heat aside with one another and just kick kick the crap out of those two guys. Oh, yeah. If you so. so Back to your question. Two guys I hate the least. DK Murphy, number one. Oh, DK. <laughs> Don't even get me started on that guy. <laughs> no, nah, I'm just kidding on that. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna name anybody in particular that I wouldn't want to work with. Um, no, but D- DK's got some weird quirks, man. <laughs> you know, the only people I don't want to work with are people that smell bad. I said, not going to name names because it's not worth it because all my friends, they smell good. But there's a few people out there that need a little bit better hygiene. Um, you uh, you know, know, it's funny that you mentioned that. Like, I'm not going to name names either, but I remember several years ago at, at training over at Jesse's School of Hard Knocks, um, there, was a, there was a guy that was – he came in a little late to training one day, and he gets in the ring, and he starts warming up, and he starts working with this girl that's training as well. And she just kept like trying to step away from him and he kept bringing her in, you know, for like the headlocks and you know, all that yeah. stuff. And finally she gets out of the ring and she's, she's over by where I was sitting and she's just complaining about this odor. Yeah. And it went on like all night long. And finally she gets out of the ring and she comes over to us and she's like, I finally figured it out. This dude reeks of sex. Oh, oh, oh. And That's we a- just, we were just like, what? <laughs> Dude didn't take a shower before he got to training. Off there, I want to know who this was. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you off record. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, we don't need to. Yeah, I don't funny. even think he works in the business anymore. I think I scared him off. That might give it away who it is. 
Um, I don't know. I we had a, we had a student not too long ago. Won't won't, won't name names, but uh, you know, I asked guys for feedback because you know, I, I mean, I was gone for five years. So when we first started doing trainings, when I was actually leading classes back in May. You know, I would ask guys for feedback of like, hey, because I didn't know who was who and who were the brand new guys who were who'd been around for a while. So I was get, kind of getting reacclimated. But I still ask the guys to this day, like, hey, what do you guys want to work on? Is there anything in particular? I'm like, because I'm not going to go through each guy and be like, all right, here's your move set. Let's work on this. Like, you know, hey, tell me what you guys want to try out too. Because, you know, if you want to learn how to take a choke slam. I'm not going to just make you take that. But if you want to take it, I'll give it to you. You know, yeah. it's not pleasant to take. But um, a guy pulled me aside. He's like, "Hey, man, I didn't um, didn't get a ton of ring time today." And I was like, "Yeah, you you weren't smelling the best." So, <laughs> and I told him, "I was like, I was gonna pull him aside at the end anyway, and be like, hey, man, you smell a little funky.' But like, that's why I wasn't getting in there." He's like, "Okay, gotcha." I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "Dude, I had a long day at work. He's like, don't even worry about. It. Just next time, you know, if you have to bring a water bottle, go to the bathroom, just rinse your pits off. Like, just do something. Like, just clean it up a little bit." Yeah, <laughs> like I don't expect you to smell fantastic, but you were giving off an odor that was not uh, not working for me. So, yeah, so. That, that's a, that's a that's a deal breaker. And, and you know, it's it's funny to me because you think something like that would be common sense of like clean off, but it's not to everybody, and that's wild to me. And, I mean, the worst. I mean, the, the guys that I would never want to work are guys that don't wash their gear. Like if you're oh, showing with sweaty ass gear, like. And it's noticeable. Like you can smell those people a mile away. Yeah. And I just don't get it. either get, you know, multiple sets of gear or just rinse them off and let them sit out overnight. Like I've never actually put the tights that I have in the washer. I wash them with water. Don't even use soap. I just let them soak in warm water for about five minutes. I, you know, wring them with my hands a little bit to get some of the extra dirt out. And then I just let them sit out overnight in air and they smell great the next day. And it keeps them, you know, as fresh and new as they can be. So I'm like, this isn't hard. You just fill something with water, <laughs> put it in, and then pull it out. Yeah, because that's so. not only unsanitary for like themselves, but other people, and they you get ringworm and all kinds of different things. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back here on the Ring Scoots podcast. A little technical difficulties there, uh, but we are back here with Tommy Wilson, and or do you do you go Tommy or Thomas nowadays? I still go by Tommy. Like all my social media got changed to Thomas when I wasn't wrestling. I need to change it all back. I've just been lazy. Um, yeah, I still, yeah, I'm Tommy. Okay, so when I advertise this, I could put Tommy Wilson. I don't want people thinking Biff is going to be on the podcast. You know, you'd have to put Thomas F. Wilson. You know? Oh, that's right. Yeah, you got to be very clear on that. Now, that's funny because my son actually just watched Back to the Future two days ago for the first time, mm-hmm. and it got through the whole thing. And then went, Dad, that's your name. I was like, yeah. He goes, what? <laughs> and then I explained to him which one I was. And he's like, oh, you're the dick. And I was like, shh, your mom's in the other room. He's like, oh, yeah. It works out again, perfect, though, because like, you know, both Thomas Wilson's fucking play a great heel. Well, what's great, too, is his kid got drafted by, like, I think the Blue Jays, like, two or three years ago. And I had a bunch of people hit me up, like, hey, did you just get drafted? I was like, hell yeah, I did. Going to <laughs> Toronto, baby. <laughs> Nice, because <laughs> yeah. uh, his is Thomas Junior. So yeah, but, but yeah, I go by Tommy on on just about everything. All righty, all right. The, the Mega King is dead ish. 
for now, maybe. Who knows? Yeah, never say never in the business. Like five years ago, you said you were done. Here you are. <laughs> Three years ago, I was legally dead. You know, I came back from that. Now, yeah. I got to I gotta tell you a story that I told at the last SoCal Pro Show. And there wasn't a lot of people there because it was the, the, the student showcase, basically. Okay. I think it was only like 30 or so people there. But um, I laid out a challenge for Judas. And, you know, it was one of those nights where the microphone, the microphone didn't reach the ring. So I had to get out of the ring. And, you know, it's weird. Like, there's a weird psychological thing. And I think every wrestler will understand this when they hear this. When you're in a ring and you're talking and you're talking to the crowd, you have to have a microphone. Whether it's attached to your ear or whatever, you have to have a microphone. I could have talked in that ring and every person in that building could hear me. (laughs) And yet I still felt that I had to go out of the ring, sit down in the crowd because the microphone cord only came so far. And I sat in the crowd to do my promo uh, just because I needed the microphone. And, you know, during it, I, you know, laid out a challenge for Judas and I told the fans, you know, I came back for one reason and started talking about, you know, there's some things left undone and a fan yelled out, yeah, you've never won the Golden State belt. And I was like, yeah, and Hulk Hogan never won the Intercontinental belt. That's not what I came back for. (laughs) 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 You know, and then I went in to challenge Judas, which is the match that's actually set up for February because he's going to be in Arizona on January 14th during SoCal Pro's next show doing championship wrestling from Hollywood from Arizona, which is kind of like how the Pac-12 has 10 teams and, you know, the Big East has San Diego State playing basketball. Now the Lone Rangers have three band members. Dude, they had four beforehand. People forget that Rob Zombie was an original member of the Lone Rangers. And there is Twitter proof of this. (laughs) Um, I'll send it to you when we're done talking that Rob Zombie (laughs) was an original member but got kicked out because they thought they could do better without him there's so many people listening to this right now like (laughs) the Lone Rangers what the fuck are the Lone Rangers which is funny because I actually did a full podcast on the Lone Rangers like two years ago (laughs) got a buddy named Everett Scott that does a whole podcast on movies where people come on and talk and we talked about um, Airheads because (laughs) because anywhere you go if you say who would win in a wrestling match Lemmy or God (laughs) I've never known a person that didn't know how to respond which is trick question Lemmy is God (laughs) no I actually, I, I posted it on Facebook. I don't remember what the context was, but I put that out. And a guy that follows me that's a pastor, I don't know the guy, but he follows me. <laughs> and he sends me a message going, you know, son, um, I think you got your priorities a little out of place here. Lemmy is not God. <laughs> and he starts <laughs> going into, I ended up blocking the guy. That's why I'm, you know, <laughs> if I still had him on there, I wouldn't be talking trash about him. But I blocked him. I was like, I didn't even respond. Because I'm like, man, one, it was a joke from a movie that I've seen hundreds of times, you know, tore out those VHSs when I was a kid watching that over and over. And yeah, but Lemmy is God. And if it's not Lemmy, it's Tom Brady, because that dude's immortal and <laughs> playing into his late 40s. And, you know, I got a prediction for you. And I know it's going to affect you because, you know, you're going to be really paying attention to that Jaguars Titans game next week. Yes. When one of those teams could have a losing record and still make the playoffs. And then Tom Brady and the Buccaneers can make the playoffs with a losing record. But what would be a more Tom Brady thing than, you know, 
going to the NFC and then winning a Super Bowl his first year. I mean, Aaron Rodgers has been in the NFC for 15 years. He has one Super Bowl. Tom Brady was there for a cup of coffee. Already has a Super Bowl. But how Tom Brady-ish would it be? You know, his wife leaves him. He's got like a 19-year-old girlfriend now. He takes a team with a losing record and then wins the Super Bowl, and that's his final act in the NFL. You know what? I wouldn't have a problem with it if they if they if they went up against the Jaguars because one, <laughs> the Jaguars would finally get a Super Bowl appearance, and yeah. it would be a rematch from uh, the 2017-2018 AFC Championship. Yeah. Oh man, I did. I you know I'm a Charger fan, so obviously now that they're officially in, I'm cheering them the whole way out. But did you give me Brady and you give me the Jags? The, like. Nobody would watch that, but you and me. <laughs> It'd be like the city of Jacksonville, maybe some people in Tampa Bay. There's not a <laughs> single person from New England. I was just like, really, Brady's going to win a title with a losing team? Like, <laughs> but like, think about it. like the man, like the guy got drafted like 201. He's got seven Super Bowl rings. Like, he's lived this ridiculously charmed life. Like, what more kick in the face of everybody that hates him than to take a losing team and win the Super Bowl and be the first man to ever do that? Yeah, exactly. You know, you know what's I, funny? Being a Jaguars fan, you know how much shit I get for being a Jaguars fan? Really? You get shit for being a Jaguars fan? Uh, dude, all right, check this out. For the longest time, I get shit from store owners. Okay. I get shit from, you know, football fans. Obvious, the, the obvious reasons for football fans, right? Oh, Jaguars suck. So I go in the store. I go into, like, lids. I go, yo, you have any Jaguar stuff? <laughs> And they laugh at me. <laughs> and then in recent years, wrestling fans have turned on me about it. I, I'm a Jaguars fan. Oh, like his AEW? No, oh, I've been a Jaguars a... fan since fucking 94, 95. See, I hate that. See, I, I get that with the Red Sox, too, because, like, I, I have the weirdest assortment of teams. Because, like, Padres Chargers, because San Diego, and even though Chargers are gone still, I cheer for them. I'm a Michigan fan, and I'm also a Boston sports fan, but I can't stand the Patriots. So <laughs> Michigan is as simple as in high school. I like the Steiner brothers and I like the X-Men and Wolverine was my favorite X-Men freshman year of high school on the football team. Coach goes, where do you want to play college football? And I was like, I had no idea. So he's like, you got to pick somewhere you want to go, which I, I didn't get. Cause you know, we're high schoolers. It's freshman year and whatever. But so I go watch some college football games and I see Michigan Wolverines. I was like, Oh, that's where the Steiners went. Oh, Wolverine. Oh, that's red colors. That helmet's good. And I was like, I'm a Michigan Wolverine fan. And then those fuckers win the national title the next year. So I'm like, all right, that's my team. So that's how I got onto Michigan. But then with the Red Sox, my grandpa went to high school with Ted Williams. So I grew up with him going, he, and he uh, was a sports writer for the union tribune in San Diego. So I grew up with my grandpa going, Ted Williams is the greatest baseball player of all time. So I was a Red Sox fan ever since. And then obviously got into the Celtics and, you know, Brady went to Michigan and played for the Patriots. So I cheered for him when he was in New England. And now that he's gone, I couldn't really care about the Patriots, but I love the Celtics and the Red Sox. But I get trash all the time, you know, especially now with the Padres and the Red Sox, with the Red Sox sucking and the Padres being kind of good on paper. They're like, oh, you got two teams. Like, yeah, I like them both. Who cares? Like, I'm happy when they both win. I'm sad when they both lose. Like, it's as simple as that. So when people give you crap about the Jags, it's stupid because, like, I have more respect for people that stick with a bad team from the beginning, and you get that bigger reward when they finally win one. Oh, yeah. Rather than just, like, I'm a Yankee fan. Like, yeah, everybody's a Yankee fan. Get out of here. <laughs> like, you know, when the Jaguars finally get the big one, you know what I'm going to say to those those AEW fans that give me crap over that? I'm going to say, you know what? All the Jaguars did is what you guys love the most in its uh, long-term storytelling. Well, and just please tell me that you will get the WWE title belt with the Jaguar <laughs> like side plates because that 
like what dude what's gonna happen like is triple h gonna show up on dynamite one week and be like here's your belt tony <laughs> <laughs> like it like it would be like i hadn't even thought about that Just, it was like, right Nick now, over there <laughs> like what a great moment you got con to con <laughs> handed him a belt my great job <laughs> And what if that's what, like, unites pro wrestling? Like, Nick Khan and Tony Khan just, like, realize they got a lot in common, decide to work together, and we, like, enter this, like, utopia of wrestling. Like, what if? What if? Like, you think about those Marvel what-if cartoons. What if the Jacksonville Jaguars, like, unites all of professional wrestling into this utopia? (laughs) The the Jaguars are Bill and Ted. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) This is amazing. Uh, I want to live in this world. (laughs) <laughs> right yeah no yeah, we, can, we can see we can see john moxley and roman reigns back together on the same and ima- screen and imagine that like what does moxley do though like is he dude okay so imagine like moxley's in the royal rumble next year's number one yeah. and he makes it at number 29 he finally gets dumped out he walks through the curtain the, the thing goes and then dean ambrose comes out and wins the whole thing <laughs> That would that would be a wild moment. <laughs> I mean, it, it's straight out dude love, but yeah. Oh, don't even get started me on dude love. I I can go like hours on that and how that is the greatest Mick Foley character of all time. But yeah, I we, we... I, I just listened to his most recent podcast. I usually wouldn't plug somebody else's stuff, but he does dude loves Twelve Days of Christmas, Ooh. and it's one of the funniest things I've ever heard in my life. Oh, I'm gonna have to listen to that, dude. Yeah, it's the most recent fully is pod. It's within the first minute he gets going. It's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> like it, like it's brilliant. Um. All right, let's uh, move it along here real quick because uh, <laughs> we're, we're kind of running a little bit out of time. But um, what, what one of my favorite parts of the wrestling business is ribs because it's a stressful business. It's full of ego. It's full of, you know, there's a lot of respect, but there's a lot of disrespect. There's a lot of things that go on in the business that is just mentally draining, physically draining. But to pass the time, make things feel a little better and to bring people closer, we pull ribs on each other. Oh, yeah. I know a guy like you has got to have some good stories about some ribs. Well, see, I'm not much of a ripper. Now, most of the ribs I do will be in the ring and there'll be little things like, and I won't go or into around the ring or around <laughs> the ring. You know, I might mess with the, uh, the crippled guy on commentary and tell him to stand <laughs> up and clap, you know, stuff like that. You know, spit some tea at a mixing <laughs> board, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> stuff like that. There was one, eh, he won't care. I mean, if Roger's listening to this, I wrestled RJ Ruiz and um, he's very, he's very openly gay and I am very openly enjoy messing with him being gay <laughs> um and we had a match we had we had a match at ewf where we got in a lot of trouble and when i got the call we were in trouble for something i did not think we were in trouble for i get this call from uh, the booker at ewf and he goes you and roger are in a lot of trouble I go, okay <laughs> what we and i was like damn it you saw me finger in his butthole didn't you because <laughs> basically like i had roger down or whatever and i was i think he had me in a leg lock on my head like a head scissor or something and i was trying to get out of it and i was pushing on his cheek and then my finger got closer and closer and then he started giggling like a little schoolgirl, so i kept getting closer and we did a lot of that throughout the match to amuse ourselves so that's what i thought we were in trouble for when, when i'm getting yelled at and he goes you guys hit the girls because I just started uh, with Ashley Hollywood as the Mega Queen, 
And I, I forget if I, I think I hit Nikki. I think I punched her and they didn't wow. like, and some fan complained about the man on woman. It's 12 years ago. I think it was a while back. So it wasn't where we're at now with the intergender. I mean, now men are hitting women everywhere in professional wrestling and it's perfectly fine. But back yeah. then it was, it's a little bit different. <laughs> But yeah, Roger's fun one to get in there. But th- those are the kind of ribs that I would play at the ring. And with guys that I know will take them in good humor and, you know, I'm not going to just go do that to like a random newbie that's in his third match. Like if I was wrestling like Matthias, who's one of our students that just debuted at SoCal Pro, not going to play with his butt. <laughs> I hope somebody comes in. Like I wish we were on radio and somebody was coming in just right there. Like if I was wrestling Matthias, I wouldn't play with his butt. <laughs> <laughs> what's the context of that right <laughs> um hey somebody could be listening to this on their ride uh to work in the morning with the windows down and you know, the guy next to him at the crosswalk here is you know yeah but so outside of ribs like that i don't like my stuff being messed with um you know i've got a pretty big collection of like wrestling figures and memorabilia stuff and it's a massive pet peeve when like my son Messes with stuff he's not supposed to. Like he, for the most part, understands what he's allowed to handle and how to handle, you know, my stuff. But you know, I don't really like having parties at my house for the same reason. I don't really like people, it, like people I don't know in my house around my stuff. You know, I, I like to just be left alone. As crazy as that sounds, compared to what you'll see in my personality in wrestling, and to be left alone for the most part, I try to leave people alone too when it comes to like ribs. Because I figure if I do something to your bag, you're going to do something back to mine. And the last thing I want getting back from a match is to have my bag, you know, be messed with or something. And you know, I the random rib that had to do with wrestling. I was at a party for a work function, you know, when I was like 20, and a guy was you know messing around. He pushes me in a pool. He had no idea my cell phone was in my pocket, Ooh. so I destroyed my cell phone and you know so so i'm very aware of stuff like that where i'm like man i'm not gonna push me in a pool because you don't know they might have an iphone on them whatever and then it's like you got problems there so for the most part i leave people alone best rib that i've ever had played on me though was in 2012 i wrestled hector canales at socal pro and i won the socal pro heavyweight title for the second time that night and about a year prior to this i'd had my first trial with wwe and you know, I'd bought a couple new suits for the tryout and the only place I ever wore the suits was at the tryout. So I was like, man, I need to start just wearing these suits when I do promos and stuff like that. So I'd start bringing my suits to wrestling, even though it wasn't required and would wear them whenever I cut promos and full suits uh, or just half suits, full suits. I had to have oh. a full suit, but, but that's, but that's where we're going because ah. so that night, um, the booker of UWF came down and he was just coming to watch the show and another guy, and just out him is James McFarlane. And he's an old timer from San Diego. And what he decided to do while I was in the ring was he just took my suit pants and he hit them. <laughs> and he hid my pants. Now, the problem was I showed up that night in the suit and planned on leaving in the suit because I knew afterwards, I'd already been told after the match is over, we need a promo from you. So just put the suit back on. I was like, well, whatever. I'm just going to wear it there. Wear it home. No need to wear other clothes. So those were the only pants I had. So I get to the back. I put the suit top on, have the belt, you know, brush my hair, you know, clean up real quick. And I'm cutting the promo because it's waist up. So I didn't need my pants. And then I go to get ready and I'm trying to find my stuff. Can't find my pants. And locker room's a little dark. So I'm like, I got to be somewhere. I'm looking around, looking around. Can't find them. Everybody's gone. The ring is gone. It's just me and Jake. Booker from UWF, for those who don't know. And he goes, what are we going to do? I was like, 
well, I got the suit top on. I got my pink trunks on. Like everybody else is at the bar. Let's go to the bar. (laughs) And I showed up at the bar with a charcoal jacket with a white dress up shirt with a pink tie with pink trunks, pink knee pads and my black mega King or mega Tommy, whatever kick pads I had at the time. And I had a great time at the bar that night in my, in my speedo. And that's actually what morphed into the style of entrance gear I had, which was wearing the suit top. And then I evolved that into wearing just the vest top with the button up shirt because it was a little bit more comfortable and, you know, not having to carry around a suit top with me made it easier. And that's, that's basically how that came about is the guy stole my pants and I just showed up. Cause I'm like, you're going to rib me. I'm going to rib you right back and just show up looking like this. And I found out from Jake later on. He's like, that's when I, re- I found out that I really respected you. He's like, you no sold the fuck out of that and just kept going on. I was like, what was I going to do? Get mad about it? Show up like, <laughs> who stole my pants? Give them back now. Worst part is they were actually still at the building. So Jeff Dino had to call the building. Be like, hey, one of our wrestlers left his pants. And then Jeff had to go pick them up for me because I was like, hey, asshole. Like, I need my tights or I need my, my pants. <laughs> so... So he went back and got him. I got him from that training. But yeah, that was one of the funnier ribs that I was able to turn into like a whole new gimmick. And, you know, I think it peaked when I was coming out with the crown as the Mega King. One of my favorite looks was the powder pink trunks with the sort of like, uh, excuse me, uh, pistachio green top with the pink uh, tie and the black vest with the crown. Uh, I remember Gary Yap coming up. He goes, you just look like a character. I was like, excellent. That's all I was going for. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I, I imagine like it. It was like if Saul Goodman was a professional wrestler. Like that's what I had imagined. Like the attitude was. Yeah, no, it's exactly what it was. It's like I I want to look as ridiculous as I possibly can, you know, because so many people don't do that. Everybody wants to be cool and be like, oh, I want to wear this, I want to wear that. I want people to cheer me, even though I'm a bad guy or whatever. And I'm like, I'll just be a bad guy and just have you guys not like me. <laughs> <laughs> you know. You know? I'm like, I don't really care. I don't need to sell t-shirts. My wife makes a lot of money. <laughs> like, you know, the extra <laughs> little merch isn't worth me sacrificing my soul over. But, um, you know, I, I, I liked being hated back then. And and that kind of, you know, went in with the drinking too. Like I was in a bad mental health place back then, which didn't really help things in reality. But from from a wrestling standpoint, I take a lot of pride in the work that I did in like 16 and 17 at EWF and SoCal Pro because I was fired on all cylinders. And one of the bigger frustrations I have in my own life is that I let myself kind of go and got out of wrestling when I did right as AEW was popping up because, you know, I know a lot of people don't care for me as a wrestler. That's fine. But I really think that if I had continued on training and just had cut the alcohol out a lot sooner and just kept wrestling regularly. I think when AEW popped up, I could have easily gotten in as one of the earlier people. I don't know how successful I would have been or whatever, but I think the style that I was working towards would have fit in perfectly with them. And I was ready to do that. You know, I was ready for a more athletic high flying style and was working towards that anyway. And that's what I'm working back towards now because, you know, AEW, I think is my top priority of a place that I would love to work full time. If I can make that happen, and I'm sure plenty of people are going to hear this and laugh like, don't ever hire you. You're too this, you're too that. But uh, I'm the dude that had a 5% chance of living and is still here three years later. So you're not going to tell me what I can and cannot do. Um, I don't remember who this quote's from. So I apologize, but it's not mine. 
But uh, dude, it might be like uh, Marv Levy, coach of the Bills, that lost the four straight Super Bowls. <laughs> it, it was something along the lines of like, um, I'm old enough to know my limitations and I'm young enough to work around them or something like that. And that's basically the way I look at everything is when I teach wrestling, you know, wrestlers have to learn how to fall. They have to learn how to protect themselves in the ring. I know how to do all that. So I'm not going to have a guy pick me up and power bomb me at a training session. And I'm actually working my offense more around things where I'm actually not bumping myself or the other guy, you know, about a month ago, I, you know, we were at training and I was like, my flexibility is feeling good. And we were doing um, this move in the corner. It's kind of an up and over into a sunset flip that Booker T does where he goes in, he like twists in the air and then does a sunset flip out of the corner. And I was like, man, I remember RVD doing like a split legged version of this where he got whipped in the corner, got charged and he just jumps up, does a split on the top rope and then rolls forward. And one of the trainees is like, you, can, you can't do that. So sure, sure as hell, I did it right then and there. Nice. And I got up the first time and was like, screw you, I can't do it. Um, and I did that. I was like, that's, and that's the kind of stuff I'm trying to add to my arsenal is something where people will go, I don't expect the guy who's six foot five, 225 pounds to be able to move like that. That was cool. But it's also a move where I'm doing a roll and the other guy's rolling through. So there's less impact on everybody. And that's what I'm trying to get through with my style now is as little impact on me as possible. And then secondarily as little impact on my opponent as possible, because I've had a couple singles matches recently where guys have come out and like, I don't hurt as much as I usually do after a match. And I'm like, I know because I didn't keep, you know, knocking you down and picking you up. I'm like, I either kept you down or I kept you up. And I was able to work around stuff like that. And that's what I want to work towards. Cause another thing, I have no idea who said this, um, but some UFC fighter was talking about, you know, training in the older age. And he's like, the goal is to upgrade the software without damaging the hardware. And Ooh, I, I took, like that. Uh, yeah. I took the, I, that one. I really took the heart. Cause I'm like, I don't need to get into a ring to work on a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff for me, I'm a visual learner, so I can study film. And if I can visualize it, I, my body can usually do it after a mm-hmm. couple of tries. So I sit there and I'll, I'll watch a clip over and over of something I want to do until I can you know, memorize it and then do it. And then I'll practice it and I'll practice it on crash pads and whatever. And, you know, I'll limit as much as I can in the ring, especially at trainings and especially at smaller shows. And this is where I think a lot of guys don't understand. There's a way to work smarter without taking away from the crowd. So I wrestled Sin Bodhi about three months ago and we had a couple big things kind of planned out. Great guy, by the way. Oh yeah. Amazing guy. Check him out on every social media and check out the the custom LGNs he makes. They're amazing. But we had, we had a couple big spots planned out. The biggest one was he was going to superplex me. And about 10 minutes before we go out, he looks at the curtain and he's like, there's not enough people out there for the superplex. And then he comes up with this idea. He's like, but we'll do this instead. And he's like, fight out of it. He's like, do this. He's like, and then I'm going to drop you on the top rope and you fall to the floor. He's like, it'll hurt both of us a hell of a lot less. He's like, it'll still be a cool visual for the crowd. And he's like, it's something they've probably never seen before. So it'll actually be cooler than seeing the move that we were actually going to do. And I was like, that's perfect for me. So we did that. And, you know, once again, I wrestled, we did 45 minutes with most of it in the ring called, called in the ring with only a few things you know, planned out, you know, in the back. And we got through 45 minutes and got to the back and like, I felt nothing. It was the same thing. Like we threw some chops and some stiff kicks here and there. 
but it was nothing that was going to damage our necks or our backs and our hips. And that's another thing too, where, you know, I've done sort of like a risk analysis on my body of, you know, standing stationary and falling backwards causes whiplash on my neck. And that's something that I'm more prone to than if I flip forward and land, it's a little bit more on my hips, but my hips are a lot healthier than my neck is. And, And when I, do a front bump, say like taking a back body drop or a hip toss, my body feels it a lot less than if I take a shoulder tackle and fall backwards. So I'm more likely to take take moves where I'm going to be flipping forward or landing on my face or other little things like getting clotheslined over the top rope rather than getting clotheslined in the middle of the ring. You know, you still get that good visual of, you know, me being a big guy going over the top rope and falling and you see my legs really high in the air and then I can land on my feet and then roll and really protect myself. So a lot of what I'm trying to incorporate is stuff like that, where if there's only 10 people in the audience, we can still give them a 20 minute match. Cause to me, like the, the thing about wrestling is if there's nobody there, you want to protect yourself, but you still got to give them that show. But you can go out and do 20 minutes and be safe the whole way through. And for me at that point, it just becomes a cardio session of like, all right, let's go out and wrestle and, you know, we'll get some cardio in. We'll entertain this crowd. You know, we don't need to do the superplex. We don't need to do that crazy dive. We had planned. We don't need any tables or chairs or anything that's going to hurt us. But man, we could work a match like a flare steamboat from 89 type thing where we can go in there, put some work, you know, and make these people believe we're in a real fight and entertain them without doing anything to ourselves. And I think that gets lost on a lot of people these days because they see all these high spot guys, you see the Lucha Libre and the Japan stuff. Cause like, Oh, I just want to do that and that. And it's great and all, but at a certain point, your body's going to give out on you. I mean, look at Kenny Omega. I yeah. mean, he was out what a year, year and a half nearly just let his body recoup, mm-hmm. and, you know, and, I mean, Cena doesn't do a crazy style and he's getting injured all the time when he was around, you know, Orton's out with, with a spinal injury right now and he doesn't do much. So it's like, you don't understand there's wear and tear. And then there's just that one single abuse where just one bad bump, one guy crushes you a little bit hard or you just land weird, you know, and you're out for a while. So why risk any more than you need to, if you can work around that? And that's just my philosophy. Other guys want to go out there and take the bumps. That's cool for them. And if I end up working with guys like that and they want me to take a few extra bumps that I normally would, that's fine too. It's just, I'm not going to go out there and be like, let's take a thousand bumps tonight if I can work around it. You know, if you give me a back elbow with me coming off the ropes, 99 times out of 99, I ain't bumping. I'm going to fall down one way or another, fall out of the ring. And I see guys taking that and just taking a flat back bump. I was like, man, that's just a little wear and tear on your neck right there that you just don't need. And that's something I'm trying to instill in all our trainees at SoCal Pro right now. And in any other guy that I wrestled, like, you know, you only get so many years doing this. Yeah. But I've also wrestled a 60-year-old honky-tonk man. (laughs) So, you know, at a certain point, I want to wrestle. You know, I was talking to my wife a while back, and, you know, she's, you know, got me going back to school just to have a backup plan and stuff like that. And that's great. And she's like, so when are you going to stop wrestling? And I was like, when I die... And of course she quirks back at me. She's like, so the next time you die and then come back to life, you're done. (laughs) And then of course I look at her and go, you know, we did say till death do us part. And I did die three times. So I think legally I could argue that our, our (laughs) marriage is no longer legal. She's like, don't mess with me. (laughs) So, (laughs) um, yeah, don't get into a legalese battle there, buddy. (laughs) No, not with it. it, it. She'll she'll figure out a way. Yeah. So I, I was like, okay, I'll shut up now. 
But I told her, I'm like, I'm going to wrestle until I die. I'm probably going to wrestle in old age, even if it becomes once a month. You know, it, it blew my mind. I found out recently that Billy Gunn is older than The Undertaker. Really? Yeah. And I'm like, that tells you a lot right there. Now, you know, Billy Gunn didn't take as many crazy risks as The Undertaker. He also didn't work as much in the WWE, which I think helped him because he was taking less bumps in that ring. You know, for X amount of years, you know, when he was gone in TNA. Well, you know, and he's a tag team specialist, too. And a tag team guy where it was a lot of gimmickry when he was at his best. So there was, he wasn't taking a lot of bumps. And Taker was out there, you know, going through those wars in the mid-90s where, you know, he was wrestling with broken faces. And, you know, it, it was like, I mean, what, Undertaker took like eight months off that one year when they put him in the casket. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's because he was having a kid or something. I don't even think he was taking the time off to even to rest. I think there was like a reason there. But other than that, he hasn't missed much, missed much time. And I remember going to Vengeance 01 in San Diego when Jericho beat Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock on the same night. And RVD wrestled Undertaker for the hardcore title. And I remember going like, all right, man, I was bummed because I really wanted to see Austin wrestle The Rock. You know, I got why Jericho got the nod but i really want to see austin rock alive because that's a matchup i've never seen and still haven't so it would have been cool if they would have done that but when i got home i was like but i got to see the undertaker and i was really worried i was never gonna get to see the undertaker live and that was in 2001 that was the (laughs) first time you ever saw undertaker live yeah it was in 01 i did my first my first live show was bash at the beach 98 and then i went to a couple random wwf house shows before that pay-per-view and he was just never on them. Mm-hmm. But I remember seeing like Triple H versus Kane in a cage match, um, Dudley's versus the Outlaw, stuff like that. But yeah, I never saw Undertaker until Vengeance 01. And I was like, and I was able to cross off him and RVD on the same night. And RVD, I figure I'd see live at some point. But yeah, 01, I was like, all right, man, Undertaker's going to probably retire soon. <laughs> and then what, I mean, I guess he's retired now, but it's yeah. hard to rule out that he could have another match at any point in time if he just wanted to. So, well, hell, Shawn Michaels came back. I mean, Undertaker said he would if he needed to. Yeah. And, but that's the thing is you look at Billy Gunn and how he can still go as well as anybody. And he's in his 60s. And I, I think that's one of the things that's lost in wrestling today, too, is, you know, we, we don't want to talk about the benefits of steroids a lot because there's so many negatives to them. But, I mean, I got a hard time believing Billy Gunn's not taking something to enhance his performance. And Mm. frankly, I don't see any problem with that because, I mean, I've seen Rocky movies. Stallone wasn't cleaning those. I don't care. (laughs) I don't care that Chris Helmsworth is juicing up to be Thor. Like, Thunderlips wasn't, you know, well either, right? Yeah, Black Adam. I mean, you got all these guys. And to me, you know, you don't want guys abusing steroids, but at the same time, I think steroids and wrestling are a benefit because... One of the best things that I've done is in the two years that I trained before I returned to the ring is I really developed my upper back a lot more than I had with some of the smaller stabilizer muscles. And it has made taking back bumps, even though, you know, I still want to minimize them. It makes them hurt a lot less than they used to when my back wasn't as strong. And I think any guys that are on steroids, if you have a thicker neck, upper back, lower back, even, I think it really helps your body, you know, prevent injuries 
as long as you're not going over the top and looking like Brackus or you know, <laughs> Ryback or those guys. Because then the flip side of that is if you get too big too quick, you'll start tearing all your ligaments and joints and stuff like that. I think that's why Vince tore both his quads just walking. Because, you know, when you're 60 years old, you're not supposed to be 290 landy pounds of pure muscle. But yeah, but I think having some extra muscle mass on you helps. And Mick Foley's talked about that with the, the cell bump, that him being overweight essentially protected him. You know, all the extra layers of fat on his back definitely helped cushion that fall for him. Whereas, I mean, imagine Randy Orton taking that bump with his oh, lean, with his tall, lean frame. I think Randy Orton dies on that same bump. Yeah, or Spike you Dudley. Know, or, yeah, or is permanently injured. Yeah, Spike Dudley, any of those small guys. So I think there is a benefit to steroids in wrestling and guys being more muscular than they are now. You know, I see some of these guys, they're, you know, a buck 50, buck 60 you know, five foot eight, like your body can only take so much on that little frame. It's same with the women, you know, I mean, women don't want to be told what not to do. So I'm not going to even chime in on that. So if anybody takes offense, please don't, because it's not my intention on this, but I do worry when I watch women's matches, you know, and look at Charlotte Flair, you know, who is a very well-developed female athlete, but she will never be as thick as Ryback is or Brock Lesnar. Mm-hmm. So Brock Lesnar falling from 20 feet up will hurt him a lot less than it will hurt Charlotte Flair just because there's a lot less to protect her. So I do worry that the women beat themselves up a little bit more than they should. And that could end up having a negative effect long-term in their lives and their health later on. And that's something I hope we don't get to, but you know, I remember, I remember when Nikki Bella debuted the rack attack and the first time I saw it, I went, that's a terrible idea. And what was it? A year later, she's having neck surgery. Yeah. I'm just like that. There's nothing about that movie. I thought it was going to be her knees actually. Cause she dropped to her knees with them on her back. I'm like, that's just going to kill her knees. Like she's going to blow them both out eventually. I didn't think it would be the neck and the back, but that repetitive motion to her back mess it up. Hogan talks about doing the leg drop every night and how that messed his hips up. And he's actually like three inches shorter than he was in his prime. And that's because his spine is deteriorated and his hips have deteriorated that he is actually shorter than he was when he was in his thirties um, because everything's just jacked up in him. Um, mm-hmm. Like like having scoliosis or whatever. But so I worry about the women in that when they take superplexes and stuff from high upper land on cement, because I just don't think they have as much. They just, I mean, they just don't have as much meat to absorb unless you get like Nia Jacks or Nyla Rose or those. And I'm, I'm not saying that to make fun at all. I'm just being serious. Like they have more cushion to work with. And I, I just think that's helpful. And I encourage a lot of people when they get into the industry, when they are smaller, like you've got to put some size on, you know, we've got a couple students at SoCal pro where that's like the biggest thing I tell them is that you've got to put on some meat. Like I don't even care if you put on 10 pounds of fat, just get a little bit more meat on you because it's going to help you feel a hell of a lot better. Some people take the advice, some don't. I mean, there's a lot of things we as wrestlers can do to help, you know, have our careers go longer and some listen, some don't. It just is what it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, I agree with you 100% on that, you know, I really do. Um, yeah, it's the old, you can lead a horse to water, but like, can't make it drink. I mean, I've got an inversion table that I hang up, you know, it basically hangs me by my feet every day. And I do that every day for five minutes and it's, I'm actually about an inch and a half taller than I was when I went into the coma because my, because of wrestling, my spine had deteriorated a little bit and I was getting a little bit hunched back because I had the extra belly fat and extra fat in my chest that I was just hunching over. And I was about six, three 
when I came out. So I had the inversion table. I started hanging from it and it helped you know, strengthen my ankles. It made my neck a lot looser and it makes everything feel a lot better for my hips, spine, back, everything. But I ended up getting about six, four and a half barefoot now just from getting my posture corrected, you know, and you know, when you're taking flat back bumps and your neck speed up and your back hurts, you know, getting that stretched out goes a long way. You know, Michael's had to have his spine fused edge did. I think, you know, we'll see over time, like what injuries I end up having in my career or not. But I mean, if I can go the next 20 years without any surgeries, I would give a lot of credit to the inversion table and hanging myself upside down and letting my spine decompress every day as the reasoning for that and stretching every day and lifting weights and eating properly and drinking water. And, you know, something I've started this time around is I usually don't eat, I'd say about six hours before a match now, just cause I feel better on an empty stomach than I used to. Mm-hmm. And that helps my performances. You know, I used, I mean, I used to eat right before I went out to the ring, you know, in the past. And a lot of that was, I would take some vitamins with like magnesium and other stuff to kind of help. Um, with muscle cramping and stuff like that. But now I'm just like, man, I'll have a, a liquid IV before I go out, which is just a little powdery drink you can get at Costco. It's just got electrolytes and stuff in it. I just mix it with my water, and that's the last thing I have before I go out. And I feel a lot a lot better in the ring than I had. So just tinkering with little things like that, eating less on the day of a show, you know, hanging myself upside down, stretching daily, icing daily, working out regularly and still taking off days. You know, I got my ribs crushed two weeks ago against Motros and I haven't worked out since. And honestly, I feel really good because it was, it forced me to get out of the gym too. Cause I've been going pretty hard the last eight or nine months since I got back to wrestling. Cause I'm trying to get in the best shape that I can be. But at a certain point, you got to let your body recover. I mean, you can only push a car for so much mileage before you got to refuel. And that's kind of where my body was at. So once yeah. again, a little blessing in disguise. I get hurt and it's probably the best thing that happened to me because it slowed me down. It's uh, it's interesting, you know, uh, how things like that work out. You know, the silver linings, you know, people nowadays, they don't like to look at silver linings. They don't know where to look for them. And, and that's what you have to do to keep moving forward. Because if you don't, you know, you're just going to be constantly looking at the past. You're going to be wondering what if, and you're never going to get any change done. Like, I know for me, like the worst and best thing to ever happen to me in my life was having my back surgery at age 15. Yeah. Worst thing, because, you know, it took away my, my hopes and dreams of ever becoming a professional wrestler. But at the same yeah. time, I had a 1.0 GPA in high school. Now I have four associate degrees, a bachelor's degree, graduated with a 3.5 GPA. I was inducted into two honor societies. And, uh, you know, a lot of people won't say ring scoops is successful, but I think it is because I've accomplished every goal that I've ever set out to, to get. And that's and what would never happened if I would, you know, didn't end up in the hospital. Well, and that's the thing too, is success is whatever you want it to be. I yeah. mean, success isn't making $10 billion or whatever. I mean, with all due respect, I feel like I'm living a way more successful life right now than Elon Musk is. I know yeah. I'm happier than he is. He can have all the money <laughs> in the world. He can own Twitter. I don't give a fuck. I go yeah. on. I just scroll through, look at wrestling photos, and then move on with my day. He's on there having a meltdown. You, you know, you never, you never really know what. You know, like, I just I hate when people compare themselves to others and go, "Oh, well, I don't have this. So I'm not as good as this." Or, you know, I knew a girl where it's like, "My little sister got married before me, so my life sucks." I'm like, "Who cares? She met the right person at the right time. You haven't yet. Your person's on the way. Maybe, maybe your person's not. Who cares?" Like. Yeah, You know, 
I mean, I could have sat there when Tyler Rex got hired by WWE and just been bitter. And I'm like, it should have been me. I've been working my ass off for eight years. Like I'm better than him, but I wasn't what they wanted. So it is what it is. But same thing. I feel like I've had a very successful wrestling career. You know, every night, you know, and this is why I say 2020 has been so great. Is every night I go to bed and go, man, if 15-year-old me could have seen the day I had today, he'd be really fucking happy. <laughs> you know, whether it's getting to wrestle, you know, you know watching them, just just so much stuff. You know, going going out surfing, go, you know, playing with my kids, you know, hanging out with my wife, doing other stuff with my wife. Like, there's all kinds of stuff where I can go, man, I wish 15-year-old me knew what I was getting into. And I still have days where I'm like, man, today sucked. But then, you know, just put it all into perspective is, you know, I've told you outright this story of when I was in the hospital and I couldn't even walk yet. And they, you know, were getting me to walk. And I was like, I don't want to. And I was just being a little dig. I was like, I don't want to. I never need to walk again. Fuck this. I'm never going to walk. I'm too tired. It's too hard. And then one day I just thought about you and went, I wonder how Wade would feel right now if he was watching me going, I don't want to walk. And just being a little bitch about it. And what he would feel and be like, maybe he wants to walk. So maybe I'm a dick for not walking right now because I can. I'm just choosing not to. And I remember the first time I took a step up a stair and they're like, good. I went, I got five more. And they're like, what? And I remember thinking about you and like making those jokes of like stand up and clap or whatever, <laughs> stand up and look at me in the eye and going, no, fuck that. Like I'm getting, I got to rebuild my legs now. And you just a dude in a wheelchair that I met at wrestling was what inspired me to get up and walk. And that's something, you know, if anybody is listening to this, if anybody, because for all I know, nobody's ever going to hear any of these words. <laughs> but <laughs> if you go into a gym and you're fat as fuck and you feel self-conscious, you're the person that's motivating me. Because I would rather see a fat woman, like a, like a 50-year-old fat woman who's in there who's clearly just like has no idea what she's doing and is just trying her best. I would rather be around that person than the jacked up dude who's just in there being a dickwad, slamming his weights and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, my gym, there's a dude with one leg in there who's in there doing body weight exercises and pull ups that I could never even fathom doing myself. That would put like Johnny Mundo to shame or John Morris, what the fuck his name is these days. <laughs> I always hated that when he got uh, put on the SmackDown, they didn't change it from Johnny Nitro to Johnny Thunder. It's a massive pet peeve of mine back in like 2007. <laughs> um, but like, but that's the thing is like, I draw inspiration from some of the weirdest places. Sometimes, you know, even at training, it's, it's not the most athletic guy. That's the best. It's the one who tries the hardest. We, I, the last tryout that I did with WWE was a little over 10 years ago. And Mikey O'Shea was there. Mikey's, you know, a bigger guy. And I remember we were doing, I think it was day two, we were doing push-ups and he was struggling a little bit. And it was funny because like we had to do 25 push-ups and I think we were like 17 or something and he couldn't get up. And he just started yelling at himself. I was like, you got this, man. And everybody in there just rallied behind him and got him going. He didn't get put through there. But like he didn't get hired out of that. The guy that got hired was a former college athlete. I don't even remember what his name was. But, like, everybody that was there probably got more inspiration out of Mikey pushing through that because, like, his gas tank was on empty and he still kept going. So, pushed him and pushed himself. And, like, shit like that just goes a long way for me of, like, that guy wanted it that day. Yeah. And he showed up and he gave it his best, even when he had nothing left in him. And that just means the world to me 
And that's the, that's the kind of guy you want to talk about favorite opponent. It's the least favorite opponent, people that stink. Favorite opponent, guys that will do shit like that, whether it's Mikey O'Shea or anybody else, guys that will push themselves. You know, there's one guy I'm not going to mention by name because it's not a good quality person. He's not in the industry anymore. So some people will think I'm talking about somebody, but I'm not. I had a match with a guy. And at the end of the match, he was going to win. And we had a move set up. He was going to do a Death Valley driver off the top rope through a couple tables. Jesus Christ. And, yeah. And that's how he was going to beat me. And we were on the top rope and he was sitting and I was on top of his shoulders and I could hear him grunting. He wasn't able to get up. And I went, just throw me through him. Like I was, I was already looking for the correction. I was like, we're not going to be able to get this. And he went, fuck you. I got this. And he, and I just hear him. Like, I swear to God, he had to have popped a hernia. Oof. And he lifts me up and sure as fuck put me with the death Valley driver and then pinned me. And I was like, good shit, man. Good shit. Like, you know, cause I like, I had such little faith in him. I was already changing the spot <laughs> and he still was able to pull it off. So there's things like that that I love. And it's unfortunate that it was the person that ended up being, but um, it is what it is. So, yeah. You yeah. made me walk again, Wade. Don't ever forget that. I'm sorry? You made me walk again. Don't ever forget that. Uh, well, yeah, you know, here's the thing. And I mean this literally and I mean it figuratively, okay? You can have your cake and eat it too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, I remember when uh, Ryan Taylor got hired during the pandemic. I know he's since been released by NXT, which is bullshit. But yeah. I, I remember when he got hired, he put out a tweet. He's like, I feel kind of guilty for feeling as good as I do right now. And I sent him a private message. I don't know if he ever got it because it was on Twitter. And I was just like, bro, you earn this. You have every right to be happy right now. Fuck yeah. the rest of the world. You're not hurting anybody by accepting that job and being happy. So go fucking live out your dream, man. Like, because... At a certain point, even if the whole world is shit around you, sometimes you just got to accept that your life is good and it just is what it is. And that's not your fault. You know, I don't feel guilty about the good things in my life, you know, and sometimes I brag about them because, you know, like, you know, I was showing off my action figure collection the other day. You know, I put up a photo, you know, I bought my wife a Tiffany's necklace for Christmas. I'm like, I'm not going to sit out and put out how much it costs, but I'm not going to shy away from being like, I can afford to buy my wife a Tiffany's necklace for Christmas. Because I've worked my ass off and she's worked her ass off and we have the money that we can afford things like that. We can afford to, you know, go to Paris for a week and it's not a huge deal. You know, I can afford to buy a lot of action figures and I'm proud of that because those are the things that I like and they bring me joy and I'm never going to let anybody make me feel guilty about that. You know, I could easily go, there are thousands, if not more kids in this country that don't even have a single toy. There's nothing I can do about that right now. So I'm going to enjoy the toys I have and enjoy the life that I have. And if I can help where I can, I will. But I'm also not going to lose sleep because there's people out there with bigger problems than me. Because there's also people out there with way bigger problems than me. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to enjoy the life I have because, like, I've got my struggles. I've got my ups and downs. I fucking died, for Christ's sake. Like, I have earned happiness. And I'm going to take it every which way I can get it, whether it's, you know, in wrestling, in my own personal life. You know, if, you know, yesterday I was just doing stuff around the house and I'm like, you know what? I don't really feel like cleaning the house today. And I just played Halo 2 for like five hours. So like, you know, like (laughs) I just, that's what I feel like doing right now. 
And sometimes you just got to do that. Sometimes you just got to tell people to shut the fuck up, get out of my way and just go about your own business and just enjoy your life as you see fit. And don't let people tell you, you know, what you are, who you are. That's why I don't get, you know, with all these phobias against gay people and all that. I'm like, why does a dude wanting to suck a dick affect you at all? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean, it's just serious. I mean, it's not bothering me. I mean, if they want to do it in their own home, you know, it's not like they're coming into my house, but like, I'm going to have sex with you. Bend over. It's like, so <laughs> just let people fucking live and be happy and imagine how much better the world would be in that case. But that's yeah, just, no, I'm I'm a hundred percent with you on that, man. You know, to people out there, you're a little too crazy over that kind of stuff that doesn't affect their own individual lives. Well, even the the wrestling, I mean, you know, if, I mean, when I was talking about women's wrestling, I was very clear to be like, you know, I have no intent of, you know, making this offensive in any way, shape or form. Because I feel like you have to say that or you risk people going, well, he meant this, he meant that. I didn't mean anything. Yeah. I wasn't a fan of women's wrestling when I was younger. It took me a while to get into it. You know, and it, I have my opinions on why it turned around that might differ from others. I have my opinions on intergender wrestling and other stuff. I mean, I have my own opinions on male wrestling and there's wrestlers that are signed to national contracts that I've never seen wrestle live because I have no interest in them. But it's crazy that I have to say, like, I worry about women taking bumps because I could see somebody going, Oh, well, you're worried about the women because you're sexist. I'm like, no, I'm literally worried about them because they have smaller frames. It's a biology thing, you know of I worry that they don't have the cushion and I remember being 180 pounds, you know, cause that's what I weighed when I broke in. When, when I first went to the lion's den, Ken had all his, his championships replicated. He had all his UFC titles. He had the intercontinental and he had a WWE tag title and he had him in this big case. And, you know, a week or so in, he's like, Hey guys, try the belt on, like just feel them. So we could feel what a real belt felt like. And they were legit replicas. It wasn't the stuff you buy off shop zone. Like he had them make, authentic replicas of the WWE ones and the UFC ones he obviously just won and kept and I grabbed the Intercontinental title and I put it on the lowest rung so it was as tight as you could get and you could literally put it on the floor and slide it up to my armpits and it would I I didn't have enough mass I didn't have enough ass or legs to hold the belt up on the lowest thing and Ken laughed he's like kid we're gonna need to get you juicing (laughs) I didn't know what that (laughs) I I I thought he was talking about the way Bob Backlund used to, you know, juice carrots. I was like, God damn it. (laughs) Cause I didn't know it. (laughs) That's how naive I was. I was fucking thinking of Bob Backlund sitting there probably like hanging out with like Matt Sinister, you know, just doing juices and stuff. (laughs) Yeah. But that's what I thought he was talking about. But so I, I know what it's like to be very thin and taking bumps and how much it hurts. So I'm coming from that experience on there. You know, anybody that doesn't have a certain amount of thickness, like you're just at risk. It's just the way it is. And, you know, in a WWE ring, this is little things that most fans don't realize. And even wrestlers don't realize until they experience it is that WWE ring is very different from every other ring out there. It's real ropes, which I prefer. The ropes are also a little bit taller than most independent rings. And the buckles, for whatever reason, in WWE are very narrow. And hitting the buckle in a WWE ring hurts a lot more than in most indie rings. And if you just look at the buckles, they're just very thin. So there's a lot less space for your back to hit. And that's why it hurts more, because it gets you more in the spine. Whereas if you look at the old Crockett rings or even like AEW's ring right now, like those buckles are very long. and There's a lot of padding, so you can hit them and they don't hurt as much. And those are things people don't realize too is, you know, you take a Charlotte Flair in WWE hitting those buckles. If she goes in too hard, there's a lot of damage that could be done there. 
Um, and that's that's all I'm saying about that. I mean, the same thing could happen to like James Ellsworth or you know any other skinny guy that's on the roster too. You know, I wish with a lot of smaller guys, we had more guys that looked like uh, Mustafa Ali. You know that if you're going to be small, have that type of physique where you know your muster or Kenny Omega. You know, Kenny Omega is probably the perfect specimen of like the cruiserweight type wrestler. And I know he's been a heavyweight champ, so I'm not lumping him into that either. But I'm just saying, if you look at that guy and what he can do, he's got the perfect physique for a pro wrestler. Not too big, but very thick, very muscular, and his cardio is fantastic. And I think that's what we need more of wrestling. And I'd even go out you know, on Randy Orton and say probably one of the reasons he gets injured so much is because of how tall and lean he is. And you throw in the RKO as his finishing movies constantly landing on his shoulders, why he's had shoulder issues most of his career. So that's just looking at it, you know, with hindsight, obviously now and go, okay, the reason he probably had those issues is because of how thin he is. And I feel pretty comfortable saying that to anybody. Absolutely. Yeah. It it shows, you know, how much you care, not only about the business, but the people that are in it, they have the concern that you do and to evaluate, you know, the overall scope, and take a look at the, all the details. You look at it from a macro and a micro aspect. Not a lot of people, you know, have the 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 brain to do that. And like I said in the introduction, you are one of the greatest minds in the wrestling business that I've ever shared a locker room with. And your analysis there is exactly why I say that about you. I appreciate that. Oh, absolutely, man. It's it's not it's not hype when you can back it up and you can back it up clearly. Anybody that has listened to this conversation that we've had in the last you know hour and a half, if they, if they can't pick that up in the first 10 minutes of this conversation, then they yeah. need to take a class at a community college about reading and comprehension. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for that. I mean, but that just comes from. You know, nothing that I ever say to guys is is new either. You know, I got trained by a guy named Oliver John, who no one listening to this has heard of. But oh, I, he I remember him. Okay. But he trained uh, Jeff Cobb, which I didn't realize until I was doing extra work for Lucha Underground. And Cobb and I were talking. And I was like, oh, shit, we're trained by the same guy. Because I didn't realize Oliver had gone up to NorCal and was helping train up there. I knew he was working some indies up there. But he, I mean, I don't even know how long ago he got out of business. It's been over 10 years. But when I finally trained Jeff Cobb, I was like, well, that explains why you're so good. <laughs> like, that was literally what I said to Cobb. I was like, well, that's why you're so fucking good. And he just kind of giggled. But, you know, I had him. And then I went to UPW. And, you know, and I'm leaving Ken out of this because, purposely because Ken was there very infrequently. And he wasn't hands-on involved in the wrestling training. So I knew Ken, but I didn't get a whole lot of advice from Ken. And it's actually, it's really funny because after the school shut down in late 01, I went up to EWF um, in San Bernardino because a guy named Threat had come through and trained with us. And I ran into him at like two in the morning at 24 hour fitness. He's like, Hey man, how's it going? I was like, Oh, things are good. But like the school shut down and he's like, Hey, come to EWF. So I went up literally the next morning and met Jesse Hernandez and uh, the Havana Pitbulls were there teaching that day. And I loved that. And then um, somebody, I forget who was there that day, but somebody was going to UPW that night. So I just tagged along to that. And I went to UPW, watched the light show, and then was doing their training. You know, so I was learning from Jesse Hernandez, the Havana Pitbulls, Rick Bassman, Tom Howard, Brian Kendrick, Smojo, Frankie Kazarian, the Ballard Brothers, Hardcore Kid, Aaron Aguilera, 
Um, Roddy Piper did a couple seminars in there. DDP was coming through pretty regularly. So that's my education in wrestling. <laughs> like, it's a hell of an education. Like, I mean, and I know a lot of those names, like Tom Howard, aren't going to get the respect they deserve. Tom, I mean, Tom was huge in Japan for Zero One. But he's a guy that, like, WWE just missed out on. It was just wrong time, wrong place at all times for him. But Tom Howard easily could have been a big star in professional wrestling in the States if he'd gotten the right opportunity because he was huge in Japan. And he doesn't get the credit that he deserves for the guys that he produced at the, as the head trainer at UPW for so long. You know, training Kendrick and, you know, John Cena and Samoa Joe and all those guys. I remember hearing a, a rumor around that time, 2000, like 99, 2000, about uh, back when the Shadow Man was hosting uh, Squared Circle after he took over from Dynamite D. And uh, there was a rumor going on. Tom Howard was supposed to be brought in to be Gangrel's brother and be like the fourth member of the brood. That wouldn't surprise me. He no. Okay. This was funny. I didn't even realize this. I had to piece this together much later. I went to a house show when I was training at the lion's den in, I want to say like September one. And on the card, it was Rikishi and too cool versus somebody. And I remember going, man, that doesn't look like Scotty too hotty to me. And we had bad seats. So I was like, weird. Like he just looks different in person. And a year or two after that, I'm talking to Tom Howard. He's like, yeah, I used to do house shows as Scotty too hotty when he was injured. I'm like, (laughs) I fucking saw you in San Diego. He's like, yeah. He's like, and I was like, you didn't do the worm. He's like, I can't do the worm. I was like, that's why you didn't do the worm. Okay, it made more <laughs> sense now. He's like, I looked the part. He's like, I had bleached hair. They'd put makeup over my tattoos, and that was it. And I'm like, all right. But they're like, on the house shows, it was just easier just to pretend. And I'm like, wow. And then it makes what me wonder how many other times somebody else filled in and we don't know about it. Well, you know, like, like Christopher Daniels was a druid at the 99 rumble, you know? Yeah. And it's funny how small world the wrestling world is. Cause I remember growing up as a kid, my uncle George, who was the one that got me into wrestling, he would tell me all these old stories. Cause he would go to the shows and like San Bernardino and all that stuff way back in the day. And yeah. he told me a story about how Freddie Blassie got hated so much that the fans burnt down his brand new Cadillac out in the parking lot. That's incredible. And years later, I'm sitting at Jesse's school, and Jesse and I are just bullshitting. And I mentioned that to Jesse, and Jesse said he was there. <laughs> and I'm like, get the fuck out of here. This is a small world, man. All right. Here's a random Jesse story for you. All right. I love random I've... Jesse stories. These are great. We can do a whole podcast on these. Oh, absolutely. Jesse. So um, I don't know what year it is, but I'm, I'm doing extra work on SmackDown and it's in San Diego and the, the way the extra work goes, I mean, so anybody who doesn't know you basically, you get to the building for raw. It's a little bit earlier. Well, I don't know now because when I was going SmackDown was still recorded on Tuesdays and wasn't live. So SmackDown, we could get there. I think at two in the afternoon raw, it was like, you had to be at like 10 AM or something on the West coast. On the East coast, it's a little bit later because of the time differential, but raw was live at five. So you had to get there pretty early. But so this was SmackDown, got there. We did our in-ring work with William Regal. We did our promos in the back. And they're like, just, all right, we're good. Just hang out and watch. You just hang out in the back and just watch the show, have a little food, whatever. And Jesse comes up to me, you know, um, the show's got maybe 10 minutes left. 
And he's like, hey, brother, I need some help. <laughs> Whatever you want, Jess, what are we doing? And he goes, I got some canvases. We need to get out of here. And I went, wait, what? Because the way he <laughs> phrased it, I was like, are we stealing these? Or he's like, no, no, no. <laughs> he's like, and he laughs. He's like, no, 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 no. They just giving me the extras. Because, you know, if you've ever been to a live event now, you know, you'll see they've got four or five canvases on the ring. Like, at all times and they'll remove them. Like, so if somebody bleeds, they'll take a canvas off yeah, and go to the next one. And that's the way of doing it. So that if blood happens, they can get rid of it. And the reason for that is Vince McMahon was just super anal about the way the canvas looked and didn't want any stains. That's why he never liked having logos like WCW used to have and AEW has now from my understanding, from what I've heard is that he didn't like anything on the ring. He just liked the nice sky blue or whatever. color. <laughs> that's that why is. he put the projector lights on it. Right. Yeah, you know, WrestleMania 12 is like the only exception to that. And so that's the way the canvases all are. But they go through a lot of canvases. They go through a lot of ropes. They go through a lot of rings. Like, I mean, a WWE ring, it isn't just one ring every night. I mean, they've got at least 20 rings at all times ready to go. You know, you've got backup parts, stuff like that. And I don't even know now how the rings are put together because they've got all the extra LED screens on them and all that stuff. Like, it would be very interesting to actually see a WWE ring get built now. But they gave Jesse all the extra canvases for his ring because he's got a 20 foot ring. So he goes, he, he goes, will you help me? I go, sure. He's like, all right, you help me. You can have one. I go, okay. <laughs> I'm like, what am I going to, I was like, what am I going to do with a canvas? <laughs> so he gives it to me. I load it into my Prius because I had a Prius at the time. And I'm like, <laughs> got this Prius and I'm shoving a canvas in the back. And fans are watching this, having no idea who I am. I'm just this tall dude. I was pretty muscular at the time, you know, in a suit with Jesse Hernandez with his goddamn fanny Probably pack. Like you guys jeans are putting on. a dead body in the car or something. And we're literally taking these canvases. He's putting them in his ring truck and I'm putting one in mine. <laughs> And so I called Jeff Dino and I go, dude, I got a ring canvas. Do you want it for your ring? He goes, sure, I guess. <laughs> so we get it there. He ends up like custom cutting it because it was too big because he's got a 16 foot ring. And we unroll it and there's these like black pube looking hairs, like very stringy, rough looking hairs. I'm like, I don't know who's the, who that belongs to. But I'm just going to tell everybody that CM Punk's hair moving forward. Because he was on the roster at the time, and he was there that <laughs> night. And he, and he still had the long hair at that point. So I was like, CM Punk's hair got ripped out of the ring, and we got that canvas. <laughs> <laughs> so that's just what I tell people on that one. I have no idea if it is or not. But it's like, I, yeah, we, I had a WWE canvas at one point in my life, which is another thing 10-year-old to me. Hey, one day you're going to be at SmackDown, which you have no idea what that is now. But you're going to go work WWE TV someday, and they're just going to give you part of the ring. <laughs> <laughs> like it's just cool shit like that in my life that's been pretty pretty wild you know wrestling umaga on raw you know, wrestling in japan and all that like you, you go back to success like i consider my career a success at this point if i had never returned this time around i would have still considered my career a success the thing now is i'm much older i'm much smarter with how i go about handling things and you, you here's a little tidbit i don't think i've ever really told this to anybody but you know, this goes back to the baseball slide incident I had in 03 or whatever. You know, so for those who don't know, if you go on YouTube and just put wrestler knocks himself out on baseball slide, you'll see a video of me doing a baseball slide and knocking myself out because I jumped into it and hit my temple and knocked myself out. Oh, no. I suffered severe. Wait, have you never seen that? 
No, I haven't. Is this news to you? Go, when we're done talking, just go into YouTube and go wrestler knocks himself out on baseball slide. <laughs> but so here's a little funny side story on that one too. When I get to the back, it's at the Galaxy at UPW, so I'm upstairs. And I think Beyond the Mat had come out maybe a year or two before. It was like 01 or 02 then. So I'm still kind of a mark, right? So I'm in the back and I come to and I open my eyes and Tony Jones and Mike Modest are right in front of me and I go, holy shit, am I in Beyond the Mat? <laughs> and and start marking out for Tony Jones and Mike Modest because they were in Beyond the Mat. And a buddy of mine named Murph McDermott goes, he's he just knocked himself out. He's don't mind him. They're like, all right, cool. And they were super nice about it. But um, but I had a I've had a lot of issues in my career remembering stuff. Like I just have a bad memory, and it's still not the greatest today. But I do take extra supplements for it. Uh, I'm not going to plug those because. Not going to give Joe Rogan more money. Ah, damn it. Oh, well. Alpha Brain's pretty awesome. (laughs) Uh, Not the biggest Joe Rogan fan, but Alpha Brain, most of his supplements are actually really solid stuff with good research behind them. Um, But so my brain functions a lot better. So I had a lot of trouble remembering spots in the back. So I actually learned how to call matches in the ring out of sheer necessity because I couldn't remember anything. And so... I tell guys like, Hey, I have shitty memory. Like we'll call it all out, but if it gets changed, don't worry, I'll fix it. And I learned how to wrestle on the fly. A lo- I mean, I learned when I initially started training anyway, but I really started doing a lot more live because I just couldn't remember stuff. And even the match I had with Gatson about six weeks ago, we had, there was like a whole plot point in the match that we completely forgot about and never went to that. I won't even tell people about, cause it would have made the match better, but you know, it just, we both just forgot. I started throwing cinder blocks at his head. And he started throwing barbed wire at me and we forgot about a pivotal point <laughs> from a storytelling standpoint. And we got to the back. He's like, Hey, we never did that. I was like, yeah, no, it still got over though. He's like, all right, cool. But so I, you know, I, it's been fortunate. And now I've actually started writing my matches out with ideas that I want to do. So I have it visual. Cause if I read it, I can remember it. And I study film a lot more than I used to. So I have visual ideas in my head. Like I said, if I can visualize it, I can probably do it. So if I forget what we're doing, I can start going through a catalog of things. You know, and the way I would you know, basically equate it to would be like a quarterback, you know, calling an audible line of scrimmage. It's like, okay, you got the play called, you know, but in wrestling, you know, we forget the call sometime and you just go, okay, well, we'll do this instead. You know, same thing, you know, Tom Brady, whoever gets up there and, you know, sees the defense goes, yeah, this run ain't going to work, but if we throw it, I'm going to score a touchdown. It's kind of like that. So the more you do it, the the easier it gets. And I tell all our trainees something that I was told in high school, which is as you get to each level, it gets faster. So high school is pretty slow. College is a little bit faster by the NFL. You got top tier everybody. Like there's, there's no schmucks in the NFL, which is why I think it's funny. You know, you talk about the Jaguars, bad team first, you know, tied for first place right now. There isn't a schmuck on that team. Like every guy on there is a stud. He's like the best of the best from his town. And they're all gathered in this league. It's just there against the best of the best in every other town. So we're watching the elites. And I think that gets lost on normal people sometimes how good these people are. And it's the same with wrestling. You know, the first time you go out there and have a live match, it goes very fast for you. And you're thinking about everything, you know, you're looking at the crowd, you're looking at the lights, you're hearing your music for the first time, you're taking a, a bump and you're hearing the ring and the, uh, the ring sound in your ears for the first time with a crowd. And now it's like, there's no 
protection. There's no, okay, we're at training. It doesn't matter. It's you're live. It's just different. And then every time you go out there, it just gets a little bit easier and a little bit easier. And then, you know, you get an opportunity to wrestle somebody a lot better at a bigger show and you get through it. And then you go to a smaller show and you're like, all right, the smaller show is a lot easier, you know, because you're, you know, once I wrestle on raw, it's like, there's nothing I can't do. You know, I wrestled in front of 20,000 people at the Anaheim Pond where Shawn Michaels won the world title from Bret Hart like 13 years before that, 10 years before that. So like in my head, I'm like, Shawn Michaels won his first world title here. This is really rad. I'm about to be like right where he was on this earth when he won that title. So, you know, when I'm doing a SoCal Pro show and there's a couple hundred people there, I'm like, this is nothing, but it's comparatively. Now, Matthias, kid we just debuted, you know, on uh, January 14th, we were going to have a big crowd on that show. So you got Al Snow showing up, got a cage match main event. I'm taking on CJ Tino, which telling you right now, if you're listening to this, you better watch that match because it's going to be a sleeper match for everybody because I've taken the last week off from the gym and I'm feeling nice and fresh and I'm going to be up in the cardio quite a bit because CJ is a smaller guy and I'm prepared to go a little bit longer than usual for this one. And I'm going to pull out a couple little surprises So this is going to be a really good show, but for Matthias, it's going to be interesting to get him out there in front of the largest crowd he's ever been in front of. And it's not even going to be large crowd he's ever in front of, but he's just got to adjust and it'll be the same thing. You know, eventually he'll get booked on bigger shows and it'll be a lot easier when he comes back down and you can see it in these guys' eyes. That's the fun part for me. Now, when you see the rookies debut and you can see the fear and it's just fun because it's not like the scared, like I'm like they're afraid. It's just like shit. The nerves are going. Like what's going to happen? And it's just the fear of the unknown. It's like this is wrestling's interesting because your first match as a wrestler, like you've been building towards that your entire life, no matter who you are. And I don't care what level you're at or what level you want to get to. At some point, you were a little kid watching a match going, "I want to do that." <laughs> Mm-hmm. Telling people I want to do that and people going, you'll never do that. Which is why I love telling guys, if I tell you, you have no chance, prove me wrong. Because yeah, nothing would make me happier than that. But, but I mean, I remember the day I told my mom I was going to wrestling school. She's like, really? You wouldn't rather just put that money towards a car? <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> no, imagine if I'd done that. Imagine I'm like, you know what, mom, you're right. <laughs> like how much different my life would be and how much boring my life would be. Like, so it's it's cool getting those moments with these young guys when they get out there, but yeah. I don't uh, know what I was talking about. I just went off on a whole side quest there. Uh, hey, it's all good, man. Uh actually you know, a little segue to kind of bring us into the, the next uh jumping point here and then, then we can head off because we've been on here a while. But yeah. uh, a little while ago, you mentioned the SoCal Pro uh, January 14th. Can you give people uh some more information on that and any other upcoming appearances that you have? Uh, January, I'm going to really screw this one up because I don't have the flyers in front of me. I don't know where the shows are at. My Facebook, Tommy Wilson, Thomas Wilson, um, I have all the flyers posted. January 7th, EWF in San Bernardino. I believe that's at their VFW hall that they normally run at. SoCal Pro will be in Claremont, which is southern part of San Diego. Uh, and then the 28th. I will be doing wrestling Brandon Gatson one more time for the West Coast Wrestling Connection for their heavyweight championship. All the flyers, all the dates are up on my website. We also have a seminar on January 22nd. I think this is a little bit more important for upcoming wrestlers. Anybody, you want to be a pro wrestler? SoCal Pro, January 22nd is a Sunday morning. I believe we start at 9 a.m. 
go to Jeff Dino's Facebook, go to the SoCal Pro website, SoCalPro.com. You get all the information there. But if you want to be a wrestler, show up, get in there. You know, I don't, I'm running the whole thing myself with, you know, some of our more advanced students. This isn't about doing squats or push ups. And, uh, you know, my training philosophy is what I said to you earlier. I want to upgrade the hardware without, or upgrade the hardware without damaging the software. I said that wrong, but you guys know what I mean. Yeah. I, I want to make, I want to get my mind as correct as I can without damaging the body it is essentially what I want to do. If you want to be a professional wrestler, you need to work out on your own and you need to show up in shape. We do in-ring cardio that's designed to help you be a better professional wrestler. But I don't have guys run. I don't have them do squats. I don't have them do push-ups. If it isn't a wrestling move, we're not doing it because you're not paying to come to a wrestling school to do squats and push-ups. And since Aaron Aguilera is no longer in the business, I have no problem saying I used to hate going to hardcore kids trainings at UPW because they were just cardio drills the whole time. And for somebody who, you know, when I was young, weighed 180, 190 pounds, my cardio was never an issue for me. So I hated going to cardio days with hardcore kid. I wanted to get in there with Tom Howard where he's teaching me how to wrestle, how to storytell, stuff like that. And that's what I'm trying to teach um, at SoCal Pro is the storytelling part of it, learning the basics, learn how to call ring, call matches on the fly. You know, I wrestled a guy named the Commando two weeks ago at SoCal Pro, and his cardio was not where it needed to be. And him and I had a conversation afterwards where I told him that. I'm like, you got all the ability in the world, but your cardio is the drizzling shits. So you got to fix that. I'm not fixing it for you. You know, I've put in the work for myself for the last three years to get back to where I'm at with not a single person pushing me, not my wife, not my friends, because my wife didn't want me to come back to wrestling. You know, as I said earlier, she couldn't carry it away. She wants me to make money. She wants me to be home. That's all that matters to her, which is why I think AEW is sort of my goal, because their lighter schedule fits in perfect with my family life of I would love to go wrestle on Wednesday nights, do some Saturday pay-per-views, you know, get the notoriety that I feel I deserve and get a chance to prove myself and hopefully expand that into getting more credibility for the SoCal pro school. So people know what we got going on there and they'll come check it out. And hopefully we can get the school bigger and get more wrestlers going. And, you know, all I hope for out of wrestling moving forward is to push the industry towards the direction of wrestling that I like, you know, the bucks did that with AEW, which is great. But their style isn't my favorite style, and I have no problem saying that. I think they go way too far with a lot of stuff, and I look at it from an injury standpoint of it, that's not what I want to do. And that's not the way I want to bring guys in. I want – I think like – I'm trying to think of like a match in particular, but I would say like Kurt Angle versus Undertaker in like an 06 is like about where wrestling peaked for me or like Benoit Regal type stuff where it's – it's not hokey like Hogan and Warrior back in the 80s, but it's not as athletic as it is now where it's everybody's basically a gymnast, you know, and can do everything. Because, like, I remember when RVD was an anomaly, and now just about everybody on AEW's roster is a better athlete than RVD was when he was in his prime. Yeah. So, you know, you know, so I look at it now and go, okay, well, I don't. I, I can't be as good as the Young Bucks, so I'm not even going to try. I'm not as good as John Morrison or Kenny Omega, but I have a vision of the style that I like of wrestling, and that's what I'm pushing myself towards and what I want to push my trainees towards. And with that being said, even you know, 
we have some bigger guys that I'm like, I got, we got a Samoa Joe type guy. I have no idea how good he's going to be. So I'm not saying that like, Oh, we got the next Samoa Joe, but same build, same style. He's got a, a fighting background. So I train him differently than I'm going to train a smaller guy that wants to be a cruiserweight, you know? So the bigger guy, it's going to be a lot less bumping. You know, I heard this great story on Pritchard's podcast where he was talking about Kali getting trained down in deep South or OVW or wherever. And they walked in and they had Kali running like a tackle drop down spot. And Pritchard was like, you ever have him do that again? I'll fucking fire you. Why would the great Kali ever do a tackle drop down spot? He should be beating the fuck out of people. You know? So if we get a guy, I train them based around their style and what I think they're capable of doing, you know, and I like guys kind of come up with that style themselves, but I'm still going to push them in the direction that I think that type of wrestler should be. And that's what I want my legacy in the industry to be is sometime in the early 2020s, this guy named Tommy Wilson came back from the dead and started training this crop of talent in San Diego that went on to, you know, have this style of wrestling that I think is, I personally think is the best style. And I can't describe it exactly, but it's a mix between it's like basically if you mixed what Cornette, if you took what Cornette likes and what the Bucks like and you met right in the middle, I think you'd have perfect pro wrestling, in my opinion. Oh, so yeah. that that's what I want to get to is I want to bring it back from what it is, take it a few steps backwards with more storytelling. But I also know we can't go back to studio wrestling like it was in 84 you know, or even the way it was in the WWF in the 90s or the 80s, which is my favorite period. Like, I would love if wrestling had never changed from Hulk Hogan, Ultimate Warrior, Macho Man, I'd be perfectly fine with it still today. You know, just different versions. Like, obviously, John Cena was this most current version of Hulk Hogan. Like, I am perfectly fine with that, but it has evolved and I enjoy that too because, you know, I love the Warrior and Hogan. I love Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart. I also love Stone Cold and The Rock and Triple H and, Honestly, the, the the trios matches that the Bucks and Omega have been having the last fucking month or so on Dynamite have been insane to watch because I watch those and go, I can't do that. <laughs> so, you know, I'm entertained by so much of it that it's it's great. But like I do have this, what I believe is the perfect style of wrestling. And I'd hope that I can kind of bring that out so some people can get to enjoy what I think is the best. And if they don't, that's cool too, but that's where I kind of want to lead things if I can. And I feel like I came back from the dead for a purpose and, you know, maybe it's just to be be a wrestler until I'm like 90 and train some up and coming guys to be good wrestlers. My son just walked in. So I'm going to Oliver, come here. What's up? And for those of you listening, yes, my name's my son after my wrestling trainer. What's up? You're on a oh. you're on a podcast right now, so people can hear you. Oh, what, what's up? I was just going to ask if Anderson could come over when when you dinner. Yes, or yeah. you or you can go over to his house. I don't care either way. But thank you for being good out there. You guys have behaved this whole time. Given the fact that, that he's gone now, that was given the <laughs> fact that that was our first interruption. I'm actually very pleasantly surprised. Hey, you know what, man? That was awesome. He made his podcast debut. Yeah, he wants to he. <laughs> His goal in life. So my kid, he's almost nine. He loves in and out in SpongeBob. And my aunt, the one that pulled the phlegm out of my throat, she lives in like a van house. Like she just loves traveling. And she just lives in a van. And so my son's like, when I grow up, he wrote this on a school paper and turned it in. He goes, when I grow up, I want to be a fry cook at in and out just like SpongeBob. And I want to live in a van just like my aunt. <laughs> And I'm like, man, That's awesome. 
you are right on track towards living your best life because the reality is you could probably pull all of that off by age 18. You start working at 16, save for a couple of years. You know, I'll give you a little loan to help you buy that van house you want, get you out on the road, go work, you know, multiple in and outs throughout the state. <laughs> and he's like, I want to do that. And then I want to be a Twitch streamer. <laughs> It's like, hey, you can do that in the van house. You just have to give good Wi-Fi somewhere. Well, not only that, he could start streaming, like go to the junkyard, get an old, you know, uh, van, stream yeah. while working on it, build yeah. it up, get people to tip him money. That funds yeah. it. Yeah, but I was like, oh, you don't want to be a wrestler like that? He's like, wrestling's dumb. Oh. You know, it's funny. There, um, There's an account on Twitter. There's literally only one account on Twitter that I absolutely would be devastated if Twitter got shut down over. And it's like WWF wrestling like one or two or something. But this account, it literally just posts photos from the magazines, like high resolution photos from the magazines back in the 80s and 90s. Wow. And I just go through and save them all and just like throw them on my computer and save them because like, God damn, this is like great shots I've never seen before. And um, there's a photo of the Legion of Doom versus the Orient Express. And I'm joking around with my brother and I go, yeah, Oliver's favorite wrestler. He's like, which one? Hawk or Animal? I was like, Kato. <laughs> and I'm not even joking. We were watching the 91 Rumble with the Rockers versus the Orient Express. And he saw Kato with the red mask on and went, Spider-Man. Oh, wow. So he thinks Kato is Spider-Man. So that's the only wrestler he likes besides Scotty Too Hottie because I should have been doing the worm once and he laughed his mind off. So <laughs> Kato from the Orient Express and Scotty Too Hottie are my kids' only favorite wrestlers. Hey, well, you know, that's cool, though. You know, everybody has, to, you know, they have their favorites, right? Yeah. When I was in the, the four-way ladder match back in July at SoCal Pro, I was like, hey, you want to come watch me you know, wrestle in this big, important match? He goes, I have plans. It's oh. like, oh, yeah, you, you have plans. He's like, well, there's a new episode of Patrick Star on tonight, so I'm not going to make you wrestling. I was like, all right. Oh, no. <laughs> it's like, fair enough. So it's all good. I mean, I've given up on on him wanting to do anything. Right at the beginning of the pandemic, when I was first able to start walking, we went down to the park and threw him some baseballs. And he went, Dad, can we bring a soccer ball? I don't like baseball anymore. I'm like, no, you hate baseball now too. Cause I'd coached him in T-ball. So I was like, Oh, I'm going to be, I'm going to be coach, you know, dad and all that stuff. And only got to live that dream for a year before he quit. Now he doesn't like playing any sports. He just likes, you know, riding around on a scooter and his bike with his friends and playing video games. So he's cool. I mean, I can't force him to like things I don't like or I, that I like. So it's, and he's still it's, young enough. Things can still change. Yeah, all it takes is one girl who's a wrestling fan with big boobs when he's like 17 to be like, come to the wrestling with me. <laughs> and then, Dad, I love wrestling. And then he walks in with this, you know, this girl. I'm like, ah, yes, I see why now. Yeah. Oh, man. Good times. Good times. Yeah. Uh, Tommy, I want to, I want to thank you so much, man, for coming up on the podcast. We got a lot more to talk about. We should definitely, you know, do this again, two parter, because there's things I want to talk to you about, about, Stories you've shared with me in the past about your time doing spots for WWE, your time in yeah. Japan, and I, I really, I want to dig in and talk about our history as well with the Ring Scoops Championship. Oh yeah, that DVD cover too that got you in a lot of trouble. Well, yeah, and, for, I, and I don't know why <laughs> I got into trouble for a lot of reasons. Why I don't know why. Yeah, I was the good. most mellow guy in the in the in the promotion, and I got more heat than a lot of guys. 
you know what's funny too is like I'll end it on on this part then but we absolutely have to do a part two because that there is a lot there the two of the better pro well three of the better programs I've done in my career the most current one with Mr. Impressive was a lot of fun it wasn't what I really was hoping for when I first came back because Mr. Impressive and I have had a feud since May that we blew off in October him and I never once wrestled oh wow we did the battle royal. He couldn't do the ladder because he was injured, and then he could uh, he got replaced by Tarek because he was injured. So we never end up having a match, and we had a whole program. Uh-huh. You and I never had a match, and we had an entire program that I had a lot of fun with. And then there's a guy in SoCal Pro named Everett Scott that you know he was basically like Bobby Heaton, and I was Hulk Hogan. He just kept coming at me with monster heels, and I just kept beating them. But the work that I did with him was some of the best. And he throws the clip up. I'm sure he's got it on his Twitter is I powerbomb him out of the ring through two tables. And it is one of the loudest pops I've ever heard from a crowd period. And it's because for 18 months at that point, everybody wanted to see me get my hands on him. And that was the first time I finally got a hold of him. And he didn't get away. So like I'd get him, I'd grab him by the shirt and I'd rip his tie and he would always get away. And I finally caught him. And the second I put his leg between my, or his head between my legs and bent him over, I really hope somebody's tuning in right then and there again. <laughs> and, then pick, and then picked him up and sat him on my face. And then I ran towards those ropes. <laughs> Let me explain a power bomb to you. I'm going to bend you over, put your head between my legs, flip you up so you're sitting with your crotch in my face and then I'm going to slam you on your head. <laughs> but so I power bombed through the two tables on the floor and the place just erupted. But so the three best programs I've ever been a part of have been with three guys that don't even wrestle because it isn't just about the match, you know, with you obviously it was a lot shorter. The one with Everett Scott went on forever but it was him constantly coming with different guys. And that's what kept making it was he always kept trying and the people hated him and whoever was with him, they hated by default. And, you know, you're over when you put anybody with you and they're automatically a bad guy then. So we definitely need to talk about our time in the ringside scoops bell, that goddamn birthday cake, goddamn radical Ross, cannot goddamn <laughs> radical Ross enough. Even though he's one of the best guys I've ever met backstage. I've, I've never had a man more um, ecstatic about having his chest tenderized the way that I tenderized it. Cause I didn't chop him, man. I, I was tenderizing that beef. Like we could have cooked that up and served his chest fat that night. And it would have been the, juicy delicious <laughs> yummy chili yeah you would have thought he was a squirrel girl backstage at backstreet boys oh man yeah 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 but yeah let's call it a night on that one and then yeah we definitely need to pick this up for part two to go into some of the japan some of the backstage WWE, backstage wf our program and yeah for sure man but again, Tommy, thank you so much, bro. I really do appreciate you taking time out, being here on the Ring Scoops podcast. A long time coming, right. and it, it's definitely been fun. And uh, we'll have you on again, talk about all the uh, the other exciting stuff: Japan, WWE, Ring Scoops. Uh, just there's so much stuff we could do, like three or four more of these, I think, and still have things not uncovered. Well, I think so. The second one we need to call. Tommy comes again. 
<laughs> and then the third one will be Tommy Comes Some More. And then fourth one will be con- Tommy Comes Yet Again. Like, we can really work this. But we did. <laughs> I've, got, I've got stories for days if people want to listen to them. But yeah, we'll definitely get part two. But man, thank you for having me on. I truly appreciate it, especially being your first one back. That means a lot to me. And uh, I hope people will come out and watch me wrestle and stuff. Check me out on Facebook. Pretty easy to find. Tall, blonde, and handsome, but taken. So, you know, except for RJ. I mean, RJ's my hall pass. Oh, there you go. If there was anybody that has a hall pass, RJ would be the one. And the funny thing is he doesn't know it. So if he's listening right now, he needs to know that he's my hall pass. And, you know, I'm willing to take bribes. You know what? I'll pass the word along next time we play Dead by Daylight or Among Us. <laughs> Somebody's <laughs> great casual it conversation it. in the game. I, I hope somebody like 13 years from now just has this on in the background in his car. And he goes, wait, what? <laughs> Instant regrets. <laughs> and the worst part is he, I think he lives like 10 minutes away from me now. He's down in San Diego, not that far. And yeah. yet I haven't had a chance to meet up with him. And that's honestly the biggest issue. I kind of get on so many tangents, but the biggest issue getting old in life is like, it's hard to just meet up with friends. Oh yeah, definitely. You know, once you have a wife and a kid, it's just, it's hard to get out of the house. It's hard to go see anybody and it just sucks. You lose touch with people, but yeah, for sure. But uh, yeah, again, uh, Tommy, thank you so much for uh, being on. I really appreciate it. Everybody out Absolutely. there. Uh, don't forget to check out ring scoops on social media as well. Um, all, all the major platforms at ring scoops, twitch.tv slash ring scoops. Head over to shop.ringscoops.com for all your apparel needs for Ring Scoops. We got the hot dog and a handshake t-shirt. We've got all kinds of cool stuff there, pillows, masks, drinkware, all that. And also ringscoops.com, we have the link there for our VR chat. If you want to go into the Ring Scoops arena, go in there and trash talk all your friends. Throw a throw a line or two or maybe even do a line or two backstage. I don't know. It's all bro, up to you guys. Bro, you beat me to it on that one. <laughs> I think Iron Sheik is already there. Um, maybe, but, maybe a few other people as well. Yeah, yeah right. The gimmick. Um, boy, but, do uh, I have a ri- boy, do I have a riddle to tell you? <laughs> oh man! All right, but uh, also on the link in ringscoops.com, ladies and gentlemen, we got the link there to the uh, the ring scoops card game where you guys can be the masters of the mic within your friends at the party. Have a party game. New Year's. Well, I mean, by the time you guys listen, this New Year's will be over with. But, uh, you know, Valentine's Day, you want to trash talk your sweetheart in the, in the bedroom, you know, play the Ring Scoops card game. It could be for all kinds of different occasions. You and know, it's funny. I, I dated a girl that was a master of the mics, too, but that's just because she'd screwed three guys named Mike. That was the nickname we gave her, but that was a oh. whole other story. Oh. oh. We, yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to have to do a Ring Scoops After Dark podcast. She's the master of the mics. Ah. There you go. Yeah, true story. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, on behalf of Tommy Wilson, I am the webmaster Wade Needham saying thank you. Good night and be cool. <laughs>